Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Private Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we're the Minimalists. We're here with Matt Alabama. Hi, everybody. TK Coleman. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. <laughs> uh, this is our last episode before Christmas. We're closing the studio during the holidays, but don't worry. If you're watching on the live stream, We'll still have a private podcast, maximal episode every week for you. We've got a few special things coming up for you as well, especially with this episode. If you're tuned into that live stream, by the way, we're calling this a minimalist celebration. Part of that is, um, well, it is that time of year where people start to celebrate. They reflect on the past. They start looking forward to the new year. We're going to be answering some questions about that today. But there's other reasons to celebrate. This is the 12-year anniversary mm. since we started TheMinimalists.com. Yeah. 12 years of minimalist. Yeah, wow. We're really doing it. Heck yeah, man. What a journey. It's gone, it's gone by so quick. It like makes me uh, scared about how fast the next like 10 or 12 years is going to go. I think like, even faster. I mean, that's how time <laughs> works for yeah. us. Remember when you were a kid and summer break was forever? Oh, yeah. And now you blink and the summer is just gone. And I blink again and it's Christmas and now it's New Year's and it's Valentine's Day and then it's my June birthday. And where do all the months and and Mm. years go? And here's the fascinating thing, TK. Ryan and I are now equidistant from our corporate days. So I started working for the telecom company that Ryan and I worked for in 1999 when I was 18 years old. Mm. and 12 years later, I left that corporation in 2011. But the previous year is when we started The Minimalist. So there was some overlap there, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so we're celebrating today, this month, the 12-year anniversary of The Minimalists. And I want to take this time on the private podcast to just sort of go through some significant milestones to look back. And also during the home tour segment, this week, we're going to look back mm. at uh, our very first tour. <laughs> I got some rare photos from our first tour, Ryan. Nice. We're going to be sharing those on the podcast. Did you get me an anniversary today. gift? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I also got you one. <laughs> <laughs> the gift of me. That's right. <laughs> the gift of nothing. Even better. <laughs> Ryan's gift is he leaves me alone for a few days. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that gift. It is the best gift. And we're going to talk about some of the best gifts today, especially with our first question, our first voicemail question from Christina. We're going to talk about gifts, uh, the gifts of, of starting anew. And this is that time of year where, oh, new year right around the corner, new mm-hmm. opportunity to start anew. And that's really what we did, Ryan, with The Minimalist. When we started The Minimalist, we were still both in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. We were working in telecom. We had been there a long time. We climbed the corporate ladder. We had achieved America's ideal of success. Mm -hmm. The golden handcuffs, they call it. But for us, it was our idea of success when we were growing up as well. We grew up really poor and we were discontented by some dysfunctional households. 
living in trailer parks or in low-income neighborhoods on food stamps and government assistance. And, oh, we're so unhappy. It must be because we don't have any money. So let's go make some money. We go into the corporate world. We climb the corporate ladder and buy our late 20s. We're living the American dream. The big suburban house with more toilets than people. Ryan had this giant condo. (laughs) And uh, it was just him and his cat with three bedrooms, two living rooms, and we uh, have like cat parties or something, Hollywood style cat yeah, parties. Yeah, man, you know it. Yeah, in Dayton, Ohio, Crazy. Hollywood cat parties. <laughs> Is that like a furry joke? <laughs> and um, we didn't feel successful, even though we were ostensibly successful, right? Mm. And I remember when we started The Minimalist, it really was for us about the stuff, but it quickly became a better understanding of all the different types of clutter mm. that were in our lives. Because as Ryan did his packing party, or I spent eight months simplifying my life back in t- 2009 and then 2010, and then Ryan hopped on board, he saw the benefits that I was experiencing from letting go. Those benefits were very rarely material benefits. I mean, mm. they're there. When you have less clutter, your your house is easier to clean. There's less... Um, there are fewer, fewer things to take care of, fewer things to replace, but there's also fewer things to worry about. So the mental clutter, you start to see that open up. The psychological clutter, the spiritual clutter, the internal clutter, and then also the calendar clutter. It really exposed the ridiculousness of our corporate days, mm. the killing ourselves 80 hours a week, especially this time of year. I still get text messages from people we worked with around Black Friday where it's like, thank God we're not waking up at 3 a.m. to go hand out flyers and trying to entice people to come into our retail stores. I remember that first Black Friday after leaving the corporation. Like it was it was the best feeling in the world. Like, oh, wow, I get to sleep in on Black Friday. I don't have to do this anymore. I get to do whatever I want. And so. There was this period of time. So at our Z- corporate zenith, Ryan and I, so I managed 150 retail stores. I was director of operations, youngest director in our company's history. I'm not bragging about that. It was just a thing that happened when I was 27 years old. Ryan managed all the business marketing for all of the corporate owned retail stores, of which we had about 25 corporate owned retail stores. And so Ryan and I worked together our entire adult lives. Before that, obviously, we, we grew up together as well. We, we knew each other since we were 10 years old. We were fat little fifth graders. And we, as we climbed the corporate ladder, we thought the money was going to alleviate the discontent. Mm. But as soon as you got money and it solved some of your money problems, it actually created new money problems because it gave you access to credit, to debt, to carry those habits from childhood forward. Mm. And what we were doing was we weren't giving ourselves a gift. We were giving ourselves a curse. The, the curse of pulling forward these poor habits from our childhoods, pulling forward these hmm, routines, these poor decisions, these misunderstandings, because we thought money was going to make us happy. And I bought some things that brought me some pleasure. We mistake the short-term pleasure. And I'm not against pleasure, but if we mistake that for happiness, what happens? You need more and more and more dopamine. Yeah. And then Ryan, throughout his... We, we just did a, a podcast talking about addiction not that long ago, but Ryan started doing some pills. 
and became addicted to opioids throughout the corporate career. And Ryan, I think part of that was probably to mask the discontent that was going on inside you because you felt like I'd created this void. I thought the things that were supposed to fill the void didn't. Mm. So you turned to something else in hopes that maybe it did. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like the reason why I wanted to make a bunch of money was so I could be more impulsive, <laughs> which sounds crazy like saying it out loud, but like that's exactly what it was. Oh, if I have enough money, I can like, I can just buy whatever I want. I don't have to think about it. I'll order extra guacamole. <laughs> I'll get the, I'll get the nice cloth paper towels. Um, but no, in all seriousness, like it was this, uh, it was enabling me to be more impulsive. And certainly when it, when it came to, um, substances, uh, yeah, I was definitely impulsive with those. And, um, yeah, you know, it works only so long. So the, I mean, getting back to your point, Josh, about, you know, kind of freeing, uh, myself of the feeling of the discontent. I mean, that is exactly what pain pills do. It's, uh, it's funny, like one of the first times I ever took a pain pill and like it hit me, it got me like high. I was like, oh, wow, it feels like the first sunny day of the year. Mm. And it's like, it's like, uh, it's this false sense of contentment. I wouldn't say happiness or maybe um, pleasure, mm. this false sense of pleasure. Um, but yeah, they work only so long. I mean, it's it, it's only a matter of time before... I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I'll never forget, man. Like what really helped me go get help was, um, I, so withdrawal from pain pills is very, very, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Like it is a very mm. tough road to go down. And, uh, I remember I couldn't get any pain pills and like I had to be at work and it was very, I was at a point where I was like, oh, if I can't get my, if I can't get my drugs and like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to function at work. So I literally was like, because everyone around me, the circle I was in, they would always say, well, if you can't, if you can't get your, you know, your, your, your pills or whatever, like you could always do heroin. And I'm like, what? Like heroin? What are you talking about? They're, oh, you don't have to inject it. You can just snort it. And it's, 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 you know, it's an opiate, you know, it's not, but it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And my brain was like, like it went there for a second. And that's when I was like, I mean, like that day I went and got help. I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm not going down that road. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. Dayton, Ohio is the overdose capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I know a lot of people from high school. I know a lot of people who, uh, who was in my circle, uh, family, um, uh, a lot of people who have overdosed. And I mean, it would take me more than two hands to count the amount of people I personally, have known that have passed away from overdoses. It's crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. and mm -hmm. we do that as a sort of pacification mm -hmm. because that pleasure does mask the pain for a moment. Now, unbeknownst to us in the moment, it also increases our pain significantly, mm -hmm. even orders of magnitude in the not too distant future as you experienced. And so whether it is consumption of things the consumerism, mm -hmm. yes, that masks some pain as well, but it creates other types of pain, credit card pain, your financial pain, right? And it strains our relationships. We start lying to our significant others because of the purchases we're making or because of the drugs that we are doing. And what I realized is that many of the things I thought I wanted 
I didn't actually want those things when I thought it through. I didn't even know why I wanted the things that I wanted. Why do I want the big house in the suburbs? Why do I want the luxury car? There's nothing inherently wrong or evil with these things. But I didn't even stop to question why I might want something like that. What is it going to do for me? Why do I feel like I need it? Why do I feel like it will bring me happiness? Why do I feel like if I don't get it, I will remain discontent? Mm. What stories am I telling myself that are keeping me miserable? And then what things am I bringing into my life that are simply going to pile on to my misery? Mm. During our Right Here, Right Now segment later in this episode, we're going to walk through some of the milestones of the minimalists. You know, we've been doing this for 12 years now since we started the blog. And I'll be interested to hear TK's perspective on this as well, because he hasn't been here the whole time. He's been an amazing addition to the team, but he doesn't know everything from our past. And we're going to open it all up there. Mm. I want to say a big thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you for your support. You yeah. keep our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Yeah, they do. How about we start with our callers, y'all? If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you are a private podcast subscriber so we can prioritize your message. Our first question today is from Christina. Christina from Philadelphia here. I was diagnosed with stage 2B triple negative breast cancer last April at the age of 32 and spent the last year going through chemo, multiple surgeries, and radiation. At the time of diagnosis, I was in the absolute best shape of my life, had just become debt-free, and was living an intentional, minimalist life. I was so thankful to receive a clear pathology report and am currently in remission, but still navigating through the trauma of the past year. What are some practices you can implement to recover from the severely traumatic, life-altering experiences that disease brings and find joy again when the idea of death is still so palpable? We're going to talk about disease quite a bit later on. We just did an episode on chronic illness, and you can go back and check that out, obviously, but I'm going to give a completely different answer for this question. But later in the private podcast, I do want to talk to you all about unconventional thoughts mm -hmm. on disease. And we'll, we'll save that for, for the private podcast. But there's something really beautiful, Christina, about what you're saying here is you're beginning to realize that a clean slate is the best gift. Mm -hmm. We've all been given a clean slate at some point in time. It's, it's really freeing in a way. Mm. Now, earlier during the intro on the, the private podcast, we were talking about Ryan's and my journey over the last, well, 30-something years, but especially the, the last 12 years. We started the minimalists.com 12 years ago this month. And a lot has happened since then. But that new beginning for us really was a clean slate. It was, it was wiping things clean. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's the expectations of the past. That one was a huge clean slate. No longer am I expected to be the director of operations for this telecommunications mm. company. And that's really hard at first because our identity gets really wrapped up in what? The things from our past. Mm -hmm. Even as Christina said, I was in the best shape of my life. 
Well, that's true for everyone. At some point, everyone was in the best shape of their life at some point. Me right now at age 41, I'm currently in the best shape of my adult life. Well, of my entire life, really, because as a kid, I was in no... My, my shape was round as a kid. <laughs> you were A-shape. <laughs> so you're in shape. <laughs> I was in a shape. And oh, shoot. But what I'll say is, at some point, though, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to say, huh, what's wrong with this mirror? Mm. I like the mirrors from the past better. Mm. Now, what, am I, what do I mean by this? I mean that at some point it all fades. Yeah. Now, it might be when you're 80 years old, you know, Jack LaLanne was still in awesome shape when he was age 90 or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But 90-year-old Jack LaLanne wasn't 30-year-old Jack LaLanne. And so with time, it all fades anyway. But the beauty of a clean slate, what it allows us to do is put things in perspective. I'm not carrying the past with me anymore. Mm. A few months ago, we came in here, Mallory and Professor Sean and I, and Ryan was here as well. And we used the out in the open rule to declutter our office space. And we did it as part of our photo tour that week on the private podcast. We brought literally all of our stuff out. And even as the minimalists, what happened? We had too many things, Mm. things from the past. All of our things are always things from the past, by the way. We never bring out things from the future (laughs) because we don't have things from the future. What a clean slate does is it gets everything out in the open. So, Christina, I applaud you for going through this. I know how painful a disease can be, how painful a chronic illness can be, how painful inflammation can be. But what has happened here is you've brought everything out into the open, including your own expectations, your own desires for the future. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But when you bring it all out in the open, you finally get to examine everything that your life has been about, everything you've been striving for, everything you've been chasing. And you realize that many of the things you were chasing, you don't realize why you were chasing. And in fact, the things Ryan and I were chasing in the corporate world, we talked about this on the private podcast intro, the things we were chasing in the corporate world, man, I was actually running in the wrong direction. Mm. And I didn't have to run the other way. I didn't want to run away from the corporate world. But I did need to, at some point, turn around and walk away from it. And that's what letting go is all about. I'm going to quote to you a lyric from a song popularized by the great Nat King Cole, who said, uh, there was a boy, a certain strange enchanted boy, They said he traveled very far, very far over land and sea. And then one day, one magic day, he came my way. And as we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me, the greatest joy that you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. When our life is afflicted with pain, particularly the kind of pain that you shared with us today, the kind of pain that can't always be changed or treated. It's so important to remind ourselves that there is nothing that can take away our ability to make another human being feel loved, that we always have the capacity to serve someone else, to bless someone else, to help someone else. And relationships, one of the things that, you know, I heard the saying, life is a terminal illness Mm, and, mm. and it comes for us all. And it's just a matter of when. But what that brings to us is an awareness that, man, when it all goes down, the only thing that matters is who I loved 
and who I allow to love to me, who I allow to love me. And that's not just like some moral position. That's actually the greatest soothing ailment to our pain, to those pains that we can't change. It's that knowledge that, man, even with all that I'm going through and all that I can't change, there's still someone out there who feels seen and who feels heard because of the life that I'm living and because of the way that I'm giving. And so when you ask about ways to to deal with this, especially after the traumatic experience has taken so many things away, I would say, look for opportunities to open your heart up to be available to those who want to be there for you and look for opportunities to be there for people who might need you in spite of the feelings of, man, inadequacy, in spite of the feelings of ah, hurt and frustration that might come up in your life and make you feel like it's over. Mm. Yeah, man. How do I follow that? <laughs> I knew I should have went next. Ah. Do you have any Natalie Cole quotes? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, man, you know, you, <laughs> Josh, you were talking about that clean slate and it made me realize like the, the what I did with that clean slate is I got clear on my values and I started reprioritizing how I was spending my time. And yeah, I never looked at it that way, but that's certainly what minimalism did for me. Yeah, it gave me a, a clean slate. Um, and what a gift that is. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. And by the way, it's really terrifying at first, right? Because you have that clean slate and it's like unlimited possibilities. And it is terrifying at first. Mm. Oh, and I yeah. noticed that with you, Ryan, when you first started letting go, the and you have this clean slate in front of you, you start clinging to things. Mm-hmm. I mean, the... The easy example is when I was trying to get rid of all those 30 coffee mugs you had when you were doing your packing party. Even those, it was difficult to let go of because the clean slate of not having all of that excess Mm. is kind of scary. Now, with Christina, it's even more pronounced than that because this is clean slate when, oh, I could have died. Yeah. And this is bonus time now. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm so glad to hear about your recovery, Christina. That's awesome. Um, her question made me think about when I broke my back and like I was asking the doctor I'm like what do I do and he's like dude you do nothing he's like you have to be in bed for six weeks yes mm-hmm. I'm like oh yeah I guess that makes sense I'm like no stretching no he's like no man like you need to lay in bed and heal like that's what you need to do so Christina I would say you don't really need to do anything in particular um, and I think that's a pressure that we put on ourselves Far too much, where we feel like we have to do something. You're you're talking about the difference between healing and fixing. Yeah. So often we go, how do I fix this? And yes, if you have your truck breaks down, it makes sense to fix it. But we're human beings. And quite often, that clean slate makes room for the healing. Yes, the physical healing, but also that internal, spiritual, mental, psychological, emotional healing Mm. that so many, I would argue, almost all of us need. It makes room for the being part of human being. (laughs) You know, uh, back in the day, I was watching the Chicago Bulls, the Jordan-led Bulls play against the Portland Trailblazers. And Bill Walton was uh, calling the game. And the Portland Trailblazers are just falling apart. They, They had control of the game and they're just falling apart. And one of the guys says, what's wrong with Portland right now? And Bill Walton says, 
They're playing not to lose. You can't play not to lose. And I was like, what does he mean? They're playing not to lose. And what he meant by that was there's a difference in the way you approach the game when you're taking the risk necessary to win than when you're just being cautious and trying to avoid the feeling of losing is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good metaphor for life as well. There's a difference in the energy that you bring to the game of life when you live not to die versus when you live to leave it all on the table. Mm. And sometimes things that can make us feel vulnerable can put us in a defensive mindset where we're just cautious about everything and we start to live not to die. And that's when our life is sucked out of us. And what I would say to all of us is the, the highest level to live at is when death catches us in the middle of the creative process because we weren't busy running from death, but we were busy giving everything mm. so that we could die empty before it comes. Yeah. Man, I love what you said earlier about uh, uh, something about, ter- like we're all heading there. You said something about being terminal. Whatever you said. Uh, life being a terminal yes, illness. It yeah. reminded me of Childish Gambino's line from uh, Because the Internet. Uh, he said, being born is a death sentence. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is, yeah, that is that is really profound. Yeah. Oh, man. Um. Mariah, my lovely wife, gave me like the best advice the other day. So I hurt myself playing Frisbee golf. <laughs> yes, it's possible. 41 years old, it's possible to hurt yourself playing Frisbee golf. <laughs> to be fair, it's tackle Frisbee golf. <laughs> <laughs> Full contact Frisbee golf. <laughs> no, I just, my, um, my swing, A, I was playing a little bit too much. And uh, my throw, uh, I just, I'm not relaxed enough. Which is funny because like, you would think it's all about the strength, but it's really about like being relaxed, the form, the flick. Like it's, it has nothing to do with like tensing up. But I was like super tensing up because I always play to win. I hate losing. Um, yeah. Josh can tell you he beats me at ping pong all the time. <laughs> um, I used to give him a run for his money, but now he just slaughters me. It's not even fun anymore. Um, but uh, Mar- Mariah gave me this awesome piece of advice. Uh, she read a quote somewhere. She was like, oh, this quote might apply to your Frisbee golf. And it said something, I'm paraphrasing here. It said something along the lines of, uh, don't give 100%, give 85%. Because when you're giving 100%, you are taking those risks and you are pre- you are putting too much pressure on yourself and you actually don't perform as well uh, as if you just gave 85%. And that's what the trailblazers were doing. They were giving it 100% <laughs> not to win. But that ended up being their demise because, yeah, yeah they, they, they could have just scaled back a little bit, but yeah, they went for it. Yeah. Christine, I'm going to send you a copy of our that. book, Everything That Remains. Ryan, we wrote the first draft of this book a decade ago, mm-hmm. and it's really a book about creating that clean slate in our own lives and what a gift that was and also how terrifying that was. Yes, we were two suit and tie corporate guys walking away from the corporate world. It's probably my favorite book that we've ever published. And I really enjoy the way that it is formatted. So Mm -hmm. it's 200 and some pages, but it's written from my perspective. But every page, Ryan interrupts me. (laughs) It's rather mimetic of our relationship. (laughs) And so I don't ever interrupt him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you enjoy our podcast you'll enjoy the audiobook version of everything that remains or if you want the book book or the ebook version christina would be happy to send those to you as well malabama will reach out to you our next question today is from alessandra my name is alessandra and i am from colorado springs my boyfriend and i both have quite a bit of stuff 
We love things with patterns and nice colors. And in general, we gravitate towards those cottagey vibes a little too much to subscribe to the minimalist look. We want to move in together in a year and it will be a smaller space. Given that, how should my boyfriend and I pick and choose what comes into our home from each of our individual homes? So what's fascinating here is you don't have to be a minimalist, Alessandra, to live intentionally. Mm. What you're really talking about here is intentionalism. And we're not prescribing living intentionally. We're also not prescribing minimalism. No, you and your boyfriend might not be minimalist, and that's totally okay. But you can simplify your lives in several ways. One way is you talked about moving into a smaller space. I want to be clear, that's not a morally better thing to do, but it might be preferable to you. And so it has a lot to do with your own individual preferences. Now, having too many preferences, having really rigid preferences is a type of prison. I know mm. from my own experience and my own preferences, I can have a really well-decorated prison cell. And so b- holding those preferences loosely, but here's a really beautiful bonus between you and your boyfriend. You both have similar tastes, it sounds like. I know my wife and I are in a similar boat here where we'll often defer to the other person because we trust their preferences, Mm -hmm. especially if something's more important to Bex. I'll give you one example. We were just, uh, we have a a home office and we're talking, I don't want, I don't like rugs. I don't want rugs, but she would really like to have a rug in the office. Mm -hmm. And so I say yes to that. Why? Because I know she's not going to pick out some hideous. Now I say hideous, not as a judgmental thing, but hideous as a, oh, this offends my preferences, right? Mm. And it would would be a problem if Alessandra and I were dating or her boyfriend and I were dating (laughs) because I don't really dig the cottagey vibes, right? Mm. And it doesn't mean I think they're wrong for having those preferences, but if Bex turned our office into a cottage, I would not enjoy spending time in there. But because you have similar preferences, I would say defer to the other person At the same time, though, what's always been important to me is to include the other person in all of those decisions. Here's one rule that we have in our home that has prevented myriad fights, disagreements, arguments in our house. And it's we don't bring anything into our house unless both of us agree that we want it in our house. And that means it's a conversation before anything gets purchased Mm. and brought home. Now, that at first causes a little bit more work for us and sometimes even a little bit more friction up front, right? But that friction gives us the traction we need to make sure that our relationship does not completely go off the rails. One last rule that I have for you that I use in my own life is never cling. Hold on loosely and let go enthusiastically. If you're moving into a new space, you know, Bex and I bought a new house earlier this year. We moved into a new space and it was never clinging to anything that we brought in. So it's like, oh, I have to have this. If I have to have this ever comes up, that is a sign for me that, oh, I'm clinging to this. Now, what is the next Mm. ingredient there? Hold on loosely. I'd like to have this. I want this in my life. Okay. 
but I know I can walk away from it. I know I can live without it. I know that I'm willing to let go. And if I'm willing to let go, then I can hold it loosely as long as it adds value to my life, as long as I feel like it's doing something for us and it's not getting in the way. Because if it gets in the way, then it's clutter. And if it's clutter and I'm still holding on to it, that's when I know I'm clinging. Mm. And finally, let go enthusiastically. It's not, oh, I guess I have to let go of this, but I get to let go of this. I get to make room. I get to experience the benefits of living intentionally. Why? Because I'm letting go. I'm letting go. I'm letting go every day, not just of the things, but of the expectations, of the clinging. I'm letting go of the desire for the things to complete me. I'm letting go of anything that is excess. That way I'm not accumulating clutter. Mm. TK, we should do a parody song. Hold on, loosely, loosely <laughs> hold on. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I love you could sing it. I'll write it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have Bama sing it. Yeah. I'll yeah. do harmony. It'll be like a little duet. <laughs> Well, I, I plan on quoting Frank Sinatra. So you want to go first? <laughs> hey, at least he's warning you. Oh, man. No, you go for it, man. You go for it. <laughs> no, I'm not quoting Frank, uh, although he is the man. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say that minimalism is a philosophy of, bun, of, of abundance. Mm. And excess is the enemy of that. Minimalism is about squeezing as much as possible the stuff that matters to you into one life. The problem with that is by the time we form any coherent concept of the stuff that matters to us, we've been so culturally conditioned to a philosophy of excess that our lives are crowded out with all of these things that we thought would make us happy, but don't make us happy, or all of these things that keep us busy and keep us distracted. And so there's no room for the stuff that really matters because the stuff that really matters is about our experiences, our relationships, our thoughts towards ourselves and towards others, our habits, our rituals, and all those sorts of things. And it can become very difficult to be clear with yourself about that stuff when your life is filled with clutter. But clutter isn't defined by the number of things that you have. Clutter is defined by that which gets in the way of the life that you truly want. So as Josh said, don't worry too much about being minimalist, looking minimalist, sounding minimalist. Focus more on making sure that you are living a life that reflects what you truly want. Now, when it comes to moving into a new place, my wife and I just recently completed a move. And one of the things that was helpful for us when it came to moving old stuff into our new place was to not let the energy of the old stuff determine the energy of the new place. Mm. Instead, do it the other way around. Walk around that new place and say, what do I want to do in this room? How do I want to use this space? What do I imagine life to be like here? You know, how do I want to be present in this environment? And what are the things I already have that seem to support the energy of that? I, I would call everything into question. It's, it's sort of like taking over a company. You don't just keep the same team without question. You say, well, here's my vision for the company. And I'm sure there are going to be some people here that are in line with that vision, but there may be some people that hate that vision. So let me be willing to let go of anything that's not consistent with the new vision that I have for this new place. Mm. Man, I really feel uh, Alessandra's pain here because like I see Josh's place and like he has the minimalist aesthetic. Yep. And I'm like, oh, wow, like that looks like the really nice and clean and open. And, uh, you know, I would love for my place to look like that. The problem is, is I don't, 
care about it enough to like put the work that goes into making a place that uh, pristine. I envy it. I I, uh, I I really admire it. Maybe that's a better word. I don't know if I envy it, but I definitely admire it. And yeah. um, it's funny because I think you know people see uh, pictures of your of your house, Josh, and they don't realize the work that you have to put in to like keep it that way. The restraint, especially. Yeah. yeah. I, I love where, where you're going with this. And uh, you lump that in with what TK said. Quite often what happens is we carry something forward from the past and we try to cram our past into our current life. Yeah. Mm. And we yeah, try to cram it. our stuff into a new environment and it just doesn't fit. Yeah. I gave you one of my uh, bookshelves recently because it mm-hmm. didn't fit in our new home. We sold the other one yesterday, actually. And so we've sold so many things over the last six months mm. and it requires con- restraint because honestly, Ryan, I wanted to hold on to just about all of it. Yeah. But I realized that was holding on to the past. I needed to let go enthusiastically. Yeah, that makes me think about, um, is it Frank, the architect? Yeah, yeah. Well, in minimalism, our, our first documentary. Yeah, yeah. So he um, talked about how he never asks someone um, if they want an extra living room, if they want a third bedroom, if they want a half bath, because they're going to say yes to everything. So instead, mm-hmm. he like talks to the you know t- to the client about what does your life look like, and then he builds blueprints based around their life. And it is too often that we try to like cram everything in there. But the, the one thing I wanted to finish here with what I was saying about um, just kind of looking up and admiring Josh's place. What I realized is that, um, you know, I, I can admire that, but like I don't have to like guilt trip myself over not having that minimalist aesthetic. And it sounds like Alessandra, I don't know if she's feeling guilty, but she's saying, oh, I, I'd call myself a minimalist, but we like that cottagey vibe. Mm-hmm. And what I'll tell you is like, you know, Mariah and I, we don't have that cottagey vibe. We don't have a bunch of clutter, but it, you know, it's, um, it's just, you would walk into our place and you'd just be like, oh, these guys are really tidy. Like you would never think like, oh, these guys are minimalists. And it's funny cause you haven't seen pictures of my home tour. Cause a, um, I do like to keep some, some things private, but B my home isn't that exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, there, there, I did take a picture. I was, uh, sitting on the couch and I saw this like nice picture of, um, I won't ruin it, but it's not very exciting, but it is like a little glimpse into kind of what Mariah and I prioritize, kind of what our aesthetic is. And um, yeah, I mean, but to be honest, it's not that exciting. And I was telling Josh this and he was like, no, dude, like you should, you should show the unexciting pictures, like to show people that like, hey, it doesn't have to be these like crisp, clean minimalist lines like the minimalist aesthetic again i really admire it um but uh but yeah i like plants too much to (laughs) (laughs) to really bring that in (laughs) i I like what you're saying about admiration because there are really talented guitar players who i admire and i play guitar a little bit but i don't admire it enough i don't desire it enough to become a savant at guitar playing i'm Mm. sure if i practice two hours a day every day then I could become a wildly talented guitar player. Mm. But it's okay that I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm not willing to put in, to exert the effort required in order to make that happen. And you'll actually see that photo, I believe, on next week's or in one of the upcoming weeks. Ryan just mentioned the photo he, he took. You'll see it on one of the Photo Friday home tours. So if you're a mm. video subscriber to the private podcast... We have a question here from Deloren. 
Hi, my name is DeLauren and I am calling from Bentonville, Arkansas. I would love to know if and how Josh, Ryan, and TK decorate for the holidays. We usually go all out on fall and Christmas decor. This year, I significantly decreased the fall decorations and it looks so much better. Because of this, I plan on decreasing the Christmas sit-around items as well so that my favorite items, the garlands and the trees, are the focal points. Who was it? Mies van der Rohe, who talked about fewer but better. And I think that's what often comes to the forefront with minimalism. It's not about getting rid of everything. Like You come to my house, it's not an empty house, right? It's aesthetically pleasing, but it is. it does include an incredible amount of restraint. Mm-hmm. Because everything I bring in can get in the way, and I realize that. So when in doubt, I go without. But that's not my pithy answer for this. I, if I were to say something pithy, I'd say, when we try to focus on everything, everything becomes out of focus. Mm. Because, especially with the holidays, you see like, oh, I have to get this right, I have to get this right, I need these decorations, I need this Christmas tree. I'll give you the, the blunt answer, the candid answer. If I lived by myself, I would not have any Christmas decorations whatsoever. Bah humbug. You're a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Josh. <laughs> I would say this, though. I do really enjoy seeing the Christmas decorations Me elsewhere. Too. Yeah. Talk about admiration. Right. Yeah. I, I just am not willing to go consume, purchase things for me mm. to do that in my own home. And so I would go without personally. However, I have a family and my wife and daughter really like having a real Christmas tree. Can I go off on that for a second? There's no such thing as a real Christmas tree. (laughs) You cut down the tree. It's it's a dying tree in your living room for a month. And yet I'm willing to support their desire to have a dying tree in our living room for a month. The only thing I ask back is let's make it aesthetically pleasing. Right. Mm, And so I want the Christmas tree stand to look nice. And so we have that. We have some Christmas lights and we have a few ornaments that Ella has made at her unschool. And that is really it. We keep it really simple and we focus on the few, doing the few things well, having the beautiful lights on. I want the warm glow and it's somewhere around 2,600 to 3,500 Kelvin. And like, (laughs) I, I pay attention to those details. And so if Bex wants that and Ella wants that in our living room, let's get the details right. Otherwise, <laughs> let's not have it at all. Right, <laughs> having such a good time. I'm just imagining Ella being like, can we get these Christmas lights? I don't know, Ella, how many Kelvins are there? <laughs> <laughs> if she would want the, co- the full color right. spectrum of lights and that just oh. doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, it's funny, dude. And, and in my movie version of The Minimalist Who Minimized Christmas, Josh is going to have like a megaphone and he'll be just an old man living by yourself, like, you can't stop that Christmas caroling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Get the harmonies right if you're gonna sing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. No, I, I I agree about the admiration part. Like Mar- Mariah and I, we walk down this one particular street all the time. And um, man, it was it's like between uh Halloween and, and Christmas, like there are just some amazing decorations that people really go all out with Mm -hmm. and they're beautiful. And Mariah and I will stop and we will admire them. And if they're out in their yard, we'll tell them how amazing their decorations are. But like you, Josh, like we don't want to put the energy into decorating and yeah, it would just be more stuff that we have to 
stashed somewhere. I mean, it would be just for when, um, but yeah, it's not worth the time and energy uh, and yeah, the resources to, to put those up. So yeah, but if you have like this desire to like go all out for whatever season it is, I mean, go for it. What I like about the idea of minimalism with the decorating and kind of like minimalism art, to me, it's like, it's what you talked about earlier, TK, with abundance. It is creating as much, um, I want to say emotion or feeling, whatever it is, with as, with, with as little as possible. And that's what I really like about minimalism art is it's like, I feel like that's what the artists do. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to like only use, you know, these three objects or these particular lines or, you know, whatever it is. And they try to elicit as much feeling as possible with uh, as, as few strokes on the, on the canvas. So I think you could take that with um, decorations and do something really amazing with it. That's the nice thing about minimalism. The bones are the beauty. And you can actually, when you see a beautifully designed house by Ando, he uh, did the, um, I think he did the Fort Worth Art Museum. If you recall, like oh, the, yeah. the art in there is stunning, but, but like, like you don't ru- even need the, the art. rustic, like yeah, yeah, and it's like it's hyper modern, uh, but it's minimalist, right? But the bones are the beauty of the thing because those limitations they create this new creative state, and I think fundamentally that's what Delorean's question is about: is when you strip away the excess, mm. you begin to find the beauty within the intentional Christmas decorations. I saw real quick. uh, I saw the most genius minimalist Christmas decorations. It was uh, a a string of one string of Christmas lights. Half of it was on the gutter. The other half was off and kind of dangling down. And then at the end where it was dangling down, it was the Grinch packing it into... (laughs) Sack. <laughs> brilliant. I know. I'm like, oh, that's good. That was the only thing there was. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I, I don't know if you're talking about internal or external decorations, but, you know, when it comes to external decorations, I, just like the other guys here, I love walking past a place that's decked out and well lit and it just looks beautiful. At the same time, the love for that kind of stuff can make you feel pressure to deliver that for mm, others. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't have the time, the energy, the means, the dedication to make that happen. And so we have to give ourselves permission to make sure we are decorating our homes for us and not for the person that might drive by, you know, once or twice during the holidays. At the end of the day, your home isn't there for them. It is there for you. And so... Yeah, I'll just leave it at that because I think you guys said it, said everything else best. Yeah. Let's move on to some social media questions. Before we do that, though, let's check in with our Patreon live stream. This is our final live stream of the year. We're checking in with you. We'll be back uh, the first Tuesday at 10 a.m. Uh, on January with our weekly live stream for anyone who subscribes to the video version of the private podcast. Alabama, who has a question for us? We have a question here from Marguerite. She says, as minimalists, why did you choose to move to L.A. over a less populated, less busy locale? Such a good one. Mm. Yeah. We we got asked that at the Sunday Symposium. We sure did. Well, a very similar question, yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, I think Rob Bell put it best. Um, People move to L.A. to tell stories. And what's awesome about L.A. is, and I don't do this enough, but you could spend, you know, every single day of living in LA and like go to a different neighborhood and 
have like, you know, a little short story happen every single day. Yeah. And so it's not only where you go to tell stories, but it's also where you can go to, to get stories. Experience stories. That yeah. is a beautiful thought. I moved here for the sun. <laughs> I, the weather. Winter and I got divorced at age 37. <laughs> and I've decided, even now, it's like winter in LA. And it's like, I woke up this morning, it was, I, I live up in Ojai, but it was 54 degrees and raining. And I went out, I went into the ice bath at like 5 a.m. and it's raining on me. And I'm like, wait, I demand a tax refund or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, in addition to coming here to tell stories, our podcast studio is here in Hollywood mm. and we're able to get guests on the podcast. It makes a whole lot of sense. This is a central place. The weather is also awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we love it here. We love it here. This isn't the only place that we love, but we love it here. And for, yes. for the time being, it, it works. And I think it's okay to know your place, not in the sense of know your role, but I think it's okay to know the places that make you come alive and to be unapologetic for it, right? Like if you want to live in a small town that nobody heard of and that nobody thinks it's cool, you don't have to apologize for that. And at the same time, if you're the type of person that likes New York City and everybody thinks it's cool to be the type of person that hates on New York City, you don't have to apologize for liking New York City, right? right. You like what you like. You give yourself permission to like the places you like and you go there. You go to the places that make you feel alive. And I think place... Mm gets left out of the passion discussion so much. We think about passion almost exclusively in terms of what you do, but we often don't talk about it in terms of who you get to do it with and how you get to do it and where you get to do it. And passion can be so easily compromised if you're doing what you love, but in places that you hate, with people that you hate, and in a way that doesn't really make you tick. And mm. so for us, we don't just want to do what we enjoy doing. But we want to be around the kind of people that also enjoy doing this thing. And this is just a great place for it. Amen, man. It's funny, like before I moved to LA, I had a um a stereotype in my head of what, you know, how people in LA were. You know, like people are just like so LA out here. <laughs> yeah. And and I and I I like uh perpetuated that and I cast judgments and I was the person who was talking about how bad LA was without ever visiting LA. Um, but what I'll tell you now at this point, what I've realized is that there are 12 million people in LA County. So if, if I can't find, you know, my tribe out here, if I can't find my people out here, it's probably not the city. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's probably me. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you that LA has, and that's the toughest thing about LA. I think I'm so glad we didn't move out here when I was 25, it would have eaten me alive, but LA has everything you want and everything you don't want. So you have to be very clear on what it is you want. Um, but if you can get clear on that, like LA provides it and it's it's accessible. And uh, yeah, I've, I've met some of the most amazing people out here. And I, by the way, anytime I've met someone who's like, so LA, I'll ask them like, hey, where are you from? They're never from Los Angeles. I'm from Michigan. Moved out here like five years ago. Oh, okay, cool. Like they come out to live that stereotype. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, the people, I have a lot of friends from Los Angeles and they are most down to earth, like awesome people. Let's check back yeah. in with the live stream. We have any comments, Alabama, from the live stream? Anyone wishing us a happy holiday or yelling at us for how <laughs> messy our hair is? What's going on? A myriad of happy anniversaries from the whole chat. Thank Aww. you guys so much. Yeah. There's a particular comment from Weiser Wolf that I thought was really cool to share. From who? Weiser Wolf. Um, they said in German, German, the word, it's German. In the, in German, the word gift means poison, especially at Christmas time. Oh. This is quite telling. Wow. Yeah. The word for like gift or present is geschenk, but gift itself means poison. 
Wow. Yeah. A gift and a curse. That's crazy. That's <laughs> I mean, I actually got Ryan some poison for Christmas this year. <laughs> we were going to drink it together. <laughs> like Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's uh, check in with some social media questions here. Amanda from Facebook has something for us, Alabama. If you could recommend one thing to declutter to start your minimalism journey, what would it be? It's not a thing. It's a question. We start our last... Netflix documentary with this question, how might your life be better with less? Now, why do you ask that question? Because understanding the benefits of simplifying is so much more powerful than understanding the how-to. It's why I've become allergic to prescriptions over the years because, yes, I can show you how to declutter your closet. But if I do that and you don't know why you're doing it, then your closet will be recluttered a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, and you'll still feel that pang of discontent. So letting go has so much more to do with the benefits of letting go Mm. because those benefits are different for everyone. It's not one size fits all. When I first started simplifying, it was to regain control of my time, of my relationships, of my calendar, of my finances. What are those benefits for you? How might your life be better with less? And I first heard that question from our good friend, Joshua Becker. He asked that question back in 2009 when I was simplifying my life. And he had just started this blog, becomingminimalist.com. And I never thought about that before. I knew Mm. that I felt less stress or a little bit calmer but I never really thought about what the benefits of simplifying might might be. And as soon as I understood the benefits, the how-to just took care of itself. Yeah. It's important to get that context. Like you have to have a good context going into it. So yeah, that's a great recommendation. Get a clear context. And once you have that, yes, the the how-to will kind of unfold. Speaking of context, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet was written as satire. Like that was Shakespeare's context for Romeo and Juliet. It was about these two teenagers, you know, puppy love, like just being ridiculous with with overcome with emotions. And it's funny how we've turned that play into like this beautiful, like amazing story and how romantic it was. But like it was actually like a it was a satirical context when he (laughs) when he wrote that. It wasn't as serious as we treat it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what a beautiful metaphor for letting go. Yeah. Mm. Because we take our things so seriously. We hold on to all of this stuff. It's so serious. I couldn't possibly live without it. Although as soon as you say that out loud, Mm. you pull that old shirt you haven't worn in two years out of your closet and tell yourself, I can't live without this shirt. I can't be happy without this shirt. I can't be myself without this yeah, shirt. Yeah. You feel those things in your heart and in your head. But as soon as you say it out loud, the absurdity of that mm. helps you not take it as seriously. It helps you stop clinging. And when you stop clinging, that is how you let go. And sometimes we, we take stuff too seriously in the form of religiously letting it go and then turning around and imposing that religion of minimalism onto other people Mm -hmm. because we feel so righteous about the small number of things that we have, right? But Mm -hmm. how do you know if something is clutter? You only know if it's clutter by the fact that it gets in the way. It gets in the way of your peace, gets in the way of your freedom, gets in the way of your joy, gets in the way of the things that you want to fill your life up with. And so you can never know if something is clutter for someone else, unless you are in tune with that someone else's why. And that's why you always have to start with that question, right? 
what is getting in the way of me living the life that I want to live. And then once you identify that, you can go beyond, I got to get rid of this, this, or I, I got to make them get rid of that. And you can just say, oh, okay, the pieces fit together. This gets in the way of the life that I want. This gets in the way. This can stay because it actually makes me feel good. This can stay because it's a useful tool and you're not even counting things anymore, but you're focusing on the quality of life, not the quantity of stuff. Our friend Beulah was over at my house yesterday. You know Beulah because yeah. she helped design the studio. And I, I have some shelves in our home and we had accumulated a few things since we moved in. So we had some stuff from the past. We had some things from the present. And I realized that, oh, we're at a stage where we now have too many things. We had the right number of things from before, but some of the things that fit my past life don't fit into my current life. And so I needed to let go. And then the question became, what do I need to let go of? How might my life be better with less is how I start. But now I know that how my life would be better with less. What would make the space calmer? What would make it breathe better, be more freeing? Mm -hmm. It's not about getting rid of everything. Earlier, we talked about starting with a clean slate and I did do that. But eventually, you've piled enough things onto that clean slate that you have to start cleaning it off again. Decluttering is not a end game. It's not a, well, I've decluttered and now I'm set for life. It's constantly questioning the things that you bring into your life and then constantly question the things I'm still holding on to. And so there was a vase I didn't need anymore. There was a little clock I didn't need anymore. There was this other little decorative item that I didn't need anymore. And it's not those things are bad or wrong or I should have never owned them. They no longer serve their purpose. They're no longer adding value to our lives. And in the moment, I felt that twinge. Oh, maybe I should hold on to this just in case. And that is a sign that I need to let go. I will tell you this, Amanda, we have 16 rules for living with less. You can download that free ebook. It's called The Minimalist Rulebook. Head on over to theminimalists.com. Just click the rule book there at the top. You can download it for free. Or if you want the audiobook version, we also have an audiobook version there that you can check out. Nikki from Facebook has a question for us. How do you maintain a minimalist lifestyle when it turns from months into years? What tools do you use to not spend or purchase when the temptation to fill a void eventually creeps back up again? I want you to understand something right away. The void that you are experiencing right now cannot be filled because it is not a void. Hmm. It's open space. Mm. When Ryan and I lived in Montana, we didn't go up to Glacier National Park and say, look at this void. Can we get some condos in here immediately? <laughs> Of course not. There was beautiful open space. And instead of saying, how do we fill this void? We say, what do we do mm. with this open space? The void you're experiencing right now has been propagated by corporations, marketers, advertisers to make you feel inadequate or incomplete, to make you think the open space that you have, the freedom that you have is wrong. It is not wrong. Now that said, I have something practical for you as well. Ryan and I have the 30-30 the rule that we came up with. We also call it the wait for it rule. Mm. If you want to buy something, here's my rule in my own life. If it costs $30 or more, I'm going to wait 30 hours to buy it. Why is that? Well, I can afford to buy a $30 thing, right? But quite often, if I give myself enough distance between the impulse and the purchase, well, I don't make the impulse purchase ever. 
because mm-hmm. it's now an informed purchase. It's never an impulse purchase. I never impulse purchase anymore if I wait 30 hours to buy the thing. If I still feel compelled to buy it, if I still think it'll add value, I've still contemplated it over those 30 hours. If I waited a day, basically, then I will still buy it. But no longer am I driven by impulse. I'm driven by necessity, by value. Yeah. And that's what purchasing things is all about. Will this enhance my life? Will it augment my life? Will it amplify my life? Will it magnify this aspect of my life? If so, wonderful. Let's bring it in. By the way, if it costs more than $100, I try to wait 30 days. Now, that doesn't always work. But what I'll tell you is that it's enabled me to forget about so many potential impulse purchases. I'll even put it in my cart. And I wait till the next day. I say, why the hell is this still in my cart? (laughs) Just go in there and delete it and move on. Yeah. 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 For me, temptation is an attractive opportunity to meet a healthy need in an unhealthy way. And when you're struggling with some kind of temptation, it's so important to not condemn yourself for having the need or for feeling tempted to do things that might fulfill that need. That's a natural, normal, healthy thing. The problem, however, is these temptations are in some ways a compromise on our dignity or they are self-destructive or they compromise long-term priorities that we might have. And so we find ourselves being attached or addicted to these things that don't serve us. And when we condemn the need and say, oh, I'm so bad for even having that temptation. I'm so bad for wanting to be loved, wanting to be seen, wanting to have company, wanting to be appreciated. And then you try to suppress the temptation or you try to not do the thing that's unhealthy. What happens is you can turn away from it for a while, but then the reality of that need crops back up. Mm. And then you say, oh, but I got to suppress the need. I can't do it. And then you give back into the temptation. And there's just this unhealthy cycle of beating yourself up and suppressing your desires and trying to exercise discipline to not do this darn thing. And what you have to do is step back and say, what legitimate healthy need is this temptation fulfilling for me? And what does a healthy approach to meeting that need look like? And then it ceases to be this winless game of stop doing that unhealthy thing. And it becomes this life-giving process of I'm going to start doing this healthy, robust, life-giving thing. And even though it's going to be hard as heck at first to rewire my brain and restructure my habits, after a while, I'm going to be so glad I started this new routine. I'm going to be so glad I broke free from those old addictions because when I do it the healthy way, it's going to feel so much better and it's going to keep me free from all of those other energies in my life that were eating away at my peace and my happiness, my joy, my relationships, and so on. Man, I feel like you just relieved a bunch of people of guilt from the desires that they have. Mm. I love what you said. Like, it's a healthy desire. It's just dealing with it in an unhealthy way. That's powerful, man. Um, Man, uh, what was the question again? Oh, yeah, temptation. I just used a 30-30 day rule uh, the other other day. Um, uh, Like a few days ago, I was on a hike with Beulah and Alex and their friend Seth, uh, Mariah and I were, and Beulah had this like, phone case. I was like, that's a, I've never looked at a phone case and been like, oh, wow, that's like very aesthetically pleasing. Um, and, uh, she told me what it was and I was like, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to wait a little bit. And I did. Um, I ended up getting it, but <laughs> I did, I did so intentionally. It wasn't like this impulse. Um, and it was even more tempting because it was on sale. It was like, you know, Cyber Monday. I don't know what it was, but it was some kind of, you know, holiday special type thing. So it made it even more justifiable. 
um, when uh, when I went to like look at it. But but yeah, I mean, these rules just creates a little bit of friction, enough friction to um, yeah, to help you make more deliberate decisions. The one thing I want to say about the void though is. So for me, there's a little bit of a void that I feel. And what I've learned to do is kind of make friends with it. Like that void is there uh, to motivate me, to inspire me, to like, to guide me in a way. That's kind of how I look at it. And I love what you talk about as viewing it as open space, Josh. That's how you make friends with it. That's how you make friends with it. Yeah, that's one way you you can do that. Nikki, check out that Minimalist rule book. You can download it at theminimalists.com right there at the top. Michael from Facebook has a question for us. How do you measure your progress with minimalism? I hear so many people doing really well with their minimalist lifestyles, but no matter what stage they're at, they're never completely satisfied. Show me anyone who's completely satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dead people like have to right. wheel out some corpses for you. Yeah. And there's always exceptions to the rules. So I'm sure there's someone, oh, I, this person's comp- great. That's that's great. But that's that's an, that's not the rule. <laughs> Min- minimalism is a tool, not a destination. And I want to be clear yeah. about that, right? Because let's say you're a carpenter and you have a hammer. You don't say, well, I bought a hammer and that is what makes me a carpenter, Right. Yes, there are things that you'll see. How does a carpenter measure progress? They built this house or whatever, right? But what you're talking about ultimately is developing a skill set, a toolkit for living more intentionally. And so, yes, we can have some rules that help. They're not even rules. They're boundaries that help us live simply, that help us live deliberately. But you're not going to get there. You're not going to own a certain number of items, and now you're a minimalist. You're not going to do these seven different things to become the simplest version of yourself. I'm not worried about measuring progress because I'm not progressing toward minimalism. I'm using minimalism. Minimalism is what allows me to move forward. If that's what you mean by progress, great. Although I will say this. Don't lie to yourself and say you need to be better. Mm. because the stuff that you buy isn't going to make you more complete. But getting rid of the stuff is also not going to make you more complete. You yourself are already complete, regardless of what items you own. The question is, are some of those items getting in the way? Are some of those items incompleting you? Mm. And if so, then you can let those things go and you progress on your own. Yeah. Didn't you share with me recently um, a uh, it was a, uh, a a blog post or whatever from Kapil Gupta essay email. He calls them discourses. Discourses. Mm. Um, it's not so funny. Like we when we started our website, we had essays, but it was really just a blog. We were just like you know, we just thought blogs were for you know uh, eighty year old grandmothers like <laughs> sharing pictures of their grandkids and cats and stuff. <laughs> um, Professional journalists still still speak that way. By the way, mm-hmm. whenever they say blog, there's like a very condescending way. Yeah, the author of a blog. Of a blog. <laughs> yeah, it's like ugh. <laughs> we never even showed a picture of my cat either. <laughs> <laughs> Did he even exist? That's right. I got pictures of him uh, of him somewhere. Um, oh man, uh, so. I forget what I, I forget. Totally forget what I was saying. <laughs> you derailed yourself. That's derailed awesome. Myself. <laughs> I'm having a hard time today, man. Um, no, I uh, yeah, I told I totally forget uh, what I was saying. TK, you go. I'm going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> 
What I just want to say here is that everything, including minimalism, can make your life worse if you don't think critically and creatively about how you apply the ideas and insights to your life. If I were to just pick up a book on minimalism or watch a YouTube video on minimalism and it says something like, hey, uh, 15 books is a good amount of books to have. And I go, okay, I'm going to uh, hide behind your advice. I'm not going to think for myself about what that means for the particular life that I have. And I'm just going to follow what you say like a prescription because I trust your authority. This is just exchanging one religion for another, right? Mm -hmm. And then so I go get rid of my books. I had 40 books and I bring it down to 15. Two weeks later, I'm kind of sad and I wish I had those other books. And now I'm mad at the thought leader that I listened to because their prescription didn't work for me. Everything can be like that. If you don't think for yourself, sometimes we use advice, we use authority figures as a way to hide behind the fear of trusting our own judgment and following our own intuition. And it's so important to never check your brain in at the door just because you found a cool sounding ism or a way of life that's worked for some people. Find what is useful, find what is valuable, but understand there will always be a need to figure out how these things uniquely apply to your life. Because I don't want you to end up being mad at folks, <laughs> you know, because you listen to their advice and you didn't think about what does and what doesn't work for you. There are always those, um, always those elements. So mm-hmm. when you see people that are compulsively minimalistic, they, they are minimalist, but they're never satisfied, you might be observing someone who isn't being very mindful mm-hmm. and cautious and intentional in the application of minimalism to their life. And you can find that in any philosophy, minimalism is no exception. What what you're talking about here is belief clutter. Yeah. What we do is, oh, I'm going to pick up his beliefs because TK must have his his poop in a group. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what the kids are saying these days? Man, I love that phrase. (laughs) I've never heard that in my life, but it's so gold. He's got his shit together, right? (laughs) And so um, he... Oh, that's great. Because he has that, I'm going to just take his beliefs and try to fit them into my life. Because I want to live TK's life. Right. But of course, I don't. Right. Because I'm only seeing what is there, the veneer of it, right? Right. And I presuppose that if I have his beliefs, then my life will be better. And then I pick up someone else's beliefs and someone else's mm. beliefs. And then they start conflicting. And I don't even stop to think, but what are my preferences? What are my beliefs? What are my needs? What is my understanding of the world? Because I've I've heaped, I've amassed all of these other beliefs onto my own life. Yeah, what was nice about minimalism for me is it gave me permission to be dissatisfied with the way I was living. Because I felt like what I was doing was supposed to be uh, the way you lived life. Accumulating debt, climbing the corporate ladder, buying a condo in Dayton, Ohio, Centerville. I mean, it was like... uh, all these things that I was doing based upon other people's recipes and I was dissatisfied. And so minimalism gave me permission. It made it okay for me to be dissatisfied. So minimalism isn't going to satisfy you, but I think what it could do though is prevent future dissatisfaction. Yes. And I do remember what I was uh, talking about earlier. Kapil Gupta's um, uh, thoughts that you shared with me. Mm -hmm. And it was all about like this disease we have of like, always having to grow, mm-hmm. always needing to be better. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, it's just not always the case. So there isn't, you're probably just fine the way you are, honestly. Amen. Yeah. Let's check back in with our Patreon live stream. Any comments for us, Alabama? By the way, shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much for joining us and keeping our podcast advertisement free. 
What do you got for us, Malabama? Shelley wanted to share a quote from Simplified by Bill Hybels. It says, quote, Simplified living requires more than just organizing your closets or cleaning out your desk drawer. It requires uncluttering of your soul. Woo! Yes. Yeah. It's an R&B song, too. Uncluttering my soul. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Let's do... uh... (laughs) So your soul feels cluttered. (laughs) (laughs) I love how it has to be in a falsetto, right? It's not the real thing. <laughs> Malabama, one more question from the live stream. You got anything oh, else for us here? Yeah, here's we'll get a question. To more, well, by the way, we'll get to more questions from the live stream here in a little bit. For yeah. sure. Here's a question from Lizzie. What do you do when you find yourself reacting to life rather than living intentionally in the moment? What helps you get back to being in the moment? Mm. I think we're always reacting. It's one of the biggest problems, right? Because it creates a lot of mental clutter. Yeah. There's so much mental clutter that we experience from constantly reacting to what? Everyone else's emergency becomes our urgency. Hmm. Ryan has something that's really important to him and therefore doesn't realize that it may not be important to me, right? Now, Ryan's really good at buffering this, but I think most people, they will set a fire and then say, hey, can you help me put out this fire? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. This is an emergency that I've created. That right. They always leave that part out, right? Mm-hmm. In the corporate world, that's what Ryan and I basically were. We were corporate firefighters because yeah. every day was someone else's emergency yeah. and it became our urgency. It interrupted everything else we were doing. And unfortunately, when we're reactive all the time, we cannot be creative. We can't be generative because we're in a constant state of stress, of increased cortisol, of discontent, of overwhelm. I mean, if you have a house that is on fire, that's the absolute worst time to try to paint it, right? Mm -hmm. To be creative with it, to redecorate it. And so reacting is almost always reacting to someone else's emergency. So how do I do that? I simply ask myself, is this important? And is this urgent? Those mm-hmm. two questions. Yeah. If it's important, okay, then yes, I want to prioritize it. It doesn't mean it's the priority right now, but at some point, it will have to be the priority. The question is when? Well, is it urgent? And if it's urgent, then it probably needs to be the priority now. If the house is on fire, I don't want to deal with it next Tuesday. <laughs> I want to deal with it right now. Mm. So is it urgent? Unfortunately, most of the things that we are reacting to are urgent, but they're not that important. Mm. And if it's not important, then I don't need to react to it at all. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sometimes we can be on a journey and we can become so accustomed to dealing with the difficulties that come along the way that we start to forget what the journey was all about. And we make it all about just putting out fires, you know, but What makes a problem a problem is that there is some kind of possibility that itself is not a problem. And the thing that we're calling a problem is getting in the way of that. Why is a flat tire a problem? Because there's somewhere you want it to go. You want it to go see someone. You want it to go do something fun. You want it to go to your job. And there's this thing that happens. It gets in the way of some other possibility. And we call that a problem. Well, once you start to focus a lot on problems, you forget, wait a minute, The only reason I have problems is because I have possibilities. I have experiences that I want to create. I have people that I want to love and things that I want to do. And you've got to make time to write those things down and be intentional about them 
because life doesn't throw you reminders of your possibilities. It doesn't throw you reminders of your goals, but it will throw you things that get in the way as soon as you set goals, as soon as you pursue those possibilities. And so you have to be intentional about your possibilities in a way that doesn't require you to be so about your problems. Yeah. Um, one quick recommendation on prescription, uh, but Mel Robbins, uh, what was the book called? The Five Second Rule or mm-hmm. The Five Second? Okay, The Five Second Rule. Yeah. Um, that's a great book about uh, catching yourself in the moment yep. and kind of redeciding how you're going to act in that moment. Um, I use it a lot. I mean, I, wh- going back to the phone case, I was like, oh, I'm going to get that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, am I? Let me rethink this. Like, is it urgent? Yeah, is it urgent? No. Is there is there a rule that you could put into play here? Oh, the 30-30 rule? Yes, I could put that in there. Mm. Um, but yeah, the five-second rule is a great way to kind of catch yourself in these um, impulsive situations. Yeah. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your questions from TikTok. Yes, indeed. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. During the lightning round, this is where we each have 60 seconds to answer your questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes over at theminimalists.com slash podcast so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. It looks like Shauna has a question for us. I have loved ones that actively try to discourage my minimalist lifestyle because it makes them uncomfortable and insecure. How do we continue to love our friends and family when they act like this? Professor Sean put 60 seconds on the clock for our good friend, Ryan Nicodemus. Oh, am I going first? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, well, one thing I'll say before I give my pithy answer. Um, I'm reading this uh, Ryan Holiday book. It's like the life of Stoics. I'm sure you've read it. Yeah. Um, I forget who it was, uh, but they one of the Stoics basically said when you when your, rep- your reputation starts to build, mm-hmm. people will attack it from all angles, mm. and that's what's happening here. So he- here's here's my pithy answer for you, Shauna. Compassion is the gateway to understanding. Yes. So in order to receive passion, you have to show compassion, and sometimes you've got to be the bigger person to step up and show that compassion. I'm not saying that. You know, uh, uh, th- this is the rule 100% of the time, but maybe here it might be it might be a, a thing that you can try, Shauna, because if you can show your family that you truly care about them, you can show them compassion about their uh, desires, their perspectives, whatever it is, they might just start to come around and show you a bit of compassion. Mm. Yes. Mm. Let's get 60 seconds on the clock for TK Coleman. He's making me go first because I always steal his. <laughs> so for the first time in history, my own maxim, <laughs> people can't love you unless you give them the real you. Imagine mm. the following scenario. You're raising money for a really important need and you go around begging everyone to give you money. And surprisingly, everyone is compassionate and they just shower you with money, but everyone writes it in the form of a check. And so you collect all these checks. You don't take the time to look at them, but you're excited because people have given you a lot of money and you go to the bank to cash the check and they say, uh, the name on these checks doesn't match the name on your ID. And you look and you can't cash the check because it's written in a different name. That is what it's like when you do all sorts of things to get people to love you, but then you can't cash in on that experience of love because it's not even the real you that they love. You gave them some sort of character that you thought would be easy to deal with, but ultimately 
They're loving a character, not the real you. And you can't really enjoy love if the real you isn't around to enjoy the benefits. Give them the real you, even if it makes them uncomfortable. Woo! Yeah. T.K. Coleman. I mean, he was like two seconds over, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those buzzer beaters that just looks so good. The ref is like, it counts. <laughs> it's LeBron. It counts. <laughs> Give me some time on the clock. So here's what I'll say. You know, I often say that judgment is a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the judge. I'd like to append that or update it, amend it with some new information here. Specific to Shauna. Judgment is a mirror reflecting the preferences of the judge. Mm. So quite often, when these people are saying, mm. I could never live that minimalist lifestyle. I need my house to be more cottagey, right? Mm. I need my home to have more things. I need more stuff than you. Now they're judging you and saying, you should have the things that I want as well. Understanding they're simply revealing their preferences to you. Mm. It's not a judgment of your things. It's a judgment of how your life would fit into their life. And as soon as you understand that, you don't have to cling to their preferences. Mm -mm. You can even get curious. You can welcome their preferences. Oh, that's great for you. But this is great for me. Mm. Yeah. Welcoming the preferences, that's the compassion I'm talking about. Yes. Like that is, that's exactly how you do it. Let's move on to right here, right now. One thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. We'll do that here in a second. But first, let's check in with our Patreon live stream. Malabama, do you have a question from the live stream for us? We sure do. Here's a question from Georgina. How do I let go of excess possessions like clothes, kitchen gadgets, electronics, etc., while I'm unemployed for a bit and stuck in a survival mentality? First things first. If you need to get employed first before you can know what you need to let go, that's cool. Minimalism doesn't come with a shot clock, right? There is no rule that says you've got to make all the decisions you are ever going to make about all the stuff that you will ever get away in the next 30 seconds, 30 minutes, 30 days or whatever it may be. It sounds like you're in a situation right now where the number one priority is to figure out what you're going to do professionally, what your source of income is going to be. And then once you have those things locked in place, you'll be able to look at your situation and make a better assessment about what you can afford to keep and what you can afford to let go of. I would prioritize in that way. Mm, man, I, uh, I almost want to say like, this is the best time to let go of stuff because if you're unemployed, you're, you're probably uh, thinking about finances. I know I was when I got laid off. I was thinking about finances. I started selling my stuff. Yes. Like the stuff that I absolutely knew that like, okay, that's that doesn't fit in the, you know, at the time for me, it was the one year, one year rule like mm -hmm. that I use in the last year. Mm -hmm. Am I going to use it in the next year? So um, I can make decisions based off of, you know, mostly that rule. There are a few others I use as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this might be the best time for you to get rid of stuff because you can maybe even earn a little extra income while you're, you're unemployed. This year yeah. I've sold more things than I ever have. Mm -hmm. And all of those things that I sold, I don't miss them. Right. And so we tell ourselves this story that oh, I'm going to miss this. It's going to have some hypothetical value in a hypothetical future. And that future arrives and it's still a piece of junk that's sitting there in our house. Mm. Now, it is true there are some things that you may miss if you let go of them, right? Mm. But also recognize you're still complete without it. Even if you miss it, you let it go because it was getting in the way. And if something's getting in the way, that's generally a good idea to let it go. Mm. Yeah, you literally sold 
all of your furniture. <laughs> yeah, all, little, this year I sold all of my furniture. Yes. And it was freeing. And it was also, in the moment, it was terrifying I'm because sure. it was like, oh, this is a part of me. This is my identity. This is who I am. Yeah. But of course, I realized, no, this isn't me. These are things that I get value from. I have gotten value from. But I'm not going to hold on to them. I'm not going to cling to them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to drag them into my future. Yeah. I'm going to start with that clean slate. Yeah. Did and you hear him talk about him selling his furniture? Has no, he told you that story? No. So his landlord went into his place and was like, oh my God, like I had no idea that this place could be so beautiful. And it was because of the way he decorated what he's like, who's your decorator? And Josh is like me. He's like, man, this is, he's like, can I buy all of this off of you? And Josh is like, uh, let me put a list together, a price list together. And yeah, sure. We could talk about that. And he ended up selling like pretty much all of his furniture. Yeah. Quite literally couch beds, everything. And starting with that clean slate, I'll tell you, it was a beautiful gift. That clean slate as difficult as it was, it was really freeing. Because even I, as one of the minimalists, has this desire to hold on, right? I'm okay with holding on. I'm holding on too tightly. That's when we get dragged. Mm. Real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing going on in the life of the minimalist. By the way, we'll check back in with our Patreon live stream on the private podcast. But Ryan, since this is our 12-year anniversary, it's worth noting that it all started with this little blog <laughs> called theminimalists.com. Yeah. On December 14th, 2010, we went live with theminimalists.com. It was this little blog and it took us a few months to cobble this thing together. And it was so beautiful because it was so simple. The bones were the beauty. Yeah. And even today, the blog still looks fundamentally the same pretty much as it did it's slightly different but it looks pretty much the same as it was 12 years ago and people show up and say why how do you get it to be so beautiful it's because uh, it's so simple there aren't advertisements there aren't banner ads there aren't sidebar things there aren't all there isn't all this busyness that distracts you it gets to the essence of what we're trying to communicate and that blog which we started in 2010 so in 20 2009 Ryan and I, or I started simplifying first. My mother died, my marriage ended. I started simplifying. I was writing about my mom's death and and the marriage ending. I was writing fiction at the time and I was simplifying. I started feeling freer and happier and lighter. And then eventually after eight months of simplifying, I got rid of 90% of my stuff, TK. Mm. And in that process, Ryan came to me and he said, why the hell are you so happy? lately. He's like, you're not supposed to be happy. You're, you're, you know, this is terrible. You are working 80 hours a week. Your marriage ended and, and your life is supposed to be in shambles right now. Right. And I told him about this thing called minimalism and he's, you know, super extreme, um, a very American attitude. And he's like, I need to simplify right now. He's like, how'd you do it? I'm like, well, I took eight months and I slowly considered. <laughs> he's like, yeah, whatever. Screw that. Lame. Yeah. And so we came up with this idea of the packing party, which folks saw in our last Netflix film, Less Is Now. And he just boxed up everything as if he were moving and unpacked everything that he needed over the next 21 days. That was the beginning of the minimalists.com was that 21 day packing party. And so we started a website. We didn't know it was called a blog at the time. I was writing essays because that's what I was familiar with. I wasn't really familiar with blog posts and the terminology. And so we figured out how to build a website. And I realized how simple it could be, even though at first it was really difficult. And so 12 or 11 years ago, Ryan and I 
we wrote a blog post called How to Start a Successful Blog Today. And we just updated it this month. It's called How to Start a Successful Blog in 2023. And it's literally our step-by-step process because the blog that we started in 2010 is still the backbone of everything that we do. And we can attribute everything that we've done since then to starting that blog. Ryan and I have published four best-selling books together. We've been on 10 speaking tours, book tours, podcast tours. We started a podcast and eventually brought TK on board and Mallory and Jordan No More, Professor Sean and Podcast Sean and Danny Unknown and Emma the Immigrant and the rest of our team. And we brought them here all because this blog started and people started getting value from it. I remember that first month when people showed up. We had 52 readers that first month. And that's really unimpressive to the average person. But for me, I spent my entire 20s, TK, getting rejection letters from agents and publishers. Mm. Everyone who read my writing was saying no. But then when Ryan came to me with this idea like, hey, Josh, you've been writing for a while. Maybe we could write about this whole minimalism thing we've been trying out. And I was like, okay, we'll give it a shot. Finally, someone was saying yes. 52 people said yes to my writing. And then 52 turned into 500, turned into 5,000, turned into 5 million people eventually. And so millions of people have read what we've done and it all started with that blog. So if you are interested in starting your own website or blog because you want a creative outlet to express yourself, to communicate with an audience, well, we have that recipe. It's a step-by-step recipe. You can start a blog in less than an hour and start writing right away without anything superfluous. You don't have to spend the months that Ryan and I did you know, just fumbling around with Cobbling fonts. together. Yeah, yeah, cobbling together HTML. Oh, I wish we had this resource that we had when we started our blog because he called me up like after a week of, of this idea of starting a, a website. And he's like, I can't do it, man. He's I, I mean, I don't know how to code. Like I really, I've tried. It's like learning a new language. I, he's like, I don't think we can do this. And I'm like, okay, like no pressure, you know, but then he had come across like some tools mm-hmm. that um, coders already had out there yeah. for us. And uh, he was able to use those and it made it so much more simple, but mm. we could have avoided a lot of pain if we had like a guide like we have right now on our website. In fact, so many people started coming to us and they're like, hey, how did you start your blog? That's yeah. why I wrote the original post and I've updated it a bunch since then. In fact, I just updated it this week with a bunch of questions that people have asked over the course of this last mm. year. Mm. They're asking questions about is blogging dead or how do I uh, make my blog more successful? How do I reach an audience? And so all of these questions that people have asked, I just said, okay, great. Instead of me just answering people one-on-one, I update this blog post. So you can start a blog in less than an hour, but also there's a bunch of questions. If you have questions about communicating with your creativity, then all those questions are answered there. Theminimalists.com slash blog. You can check that out right now. Also, if you're... Uh, considering our private podcast. You know, you get a month free right now if you sign up for a year uh, over on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Minimalists. I will say this. This is the only podcast worth paying for because we don't do any advertisements. (laughs) Although I really, on April 1st, on our website, I want to do a bunch of banners and like pop-up ads, but like of, you know, 
just uh, uh, fake companies, you know, <laughs> Mountain Dew, you know, like just <laughs> like really obviously fake ads. Anyway, we, could, we'll, do, we could do Christmas ads, yeah. like promote holiday songs, <laughs> holiday characters. <laughs> this week, promoting Elf. So if you're considering <clears throat> our private podcast, I'll ask you this. Give it a month. We think that you're really going to enjoy it. Every Monday, we give you a maximal dose of minimalism, two to three hours for those maximal episodes. You can do the audio version. You can do the video version. And also, we have a true fan tier, our top tier over on Patreon. You get all of our monthly events. So we have a whole archive of live events that we've done all the way back over the years. So Ryan and I have done 10 tours. A lot of those are filmed or the audio version is out there. And if you're one of our thousand true fans on Patreon, you have access to not just our current live events. Every time, every month we put out a new live event on Patreon, but all the archives of our live events as well. No matter what tier of support you uh, you subscribe to, you also get access to all of our archives, our podcast archives to go all the way back to 2015. You get access to all of the archives. I mean, it's more minimalism than you can choose. So <laughs> you'll go back in there. You'll find the things that really resonate with you. You don't have to listen in chronological order, but find the things that resonate. There's so many archives. You've got the quarantine conversations we did during the pandemic with 50 different thinkers and musicians mm. and podcasters and friends of ours who have never done a podcast ever. And we just uh, had these great conversations while we were all stuck in our homes. There's so much over there on Patreon. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, if you're one of those thousand true fans, by the way, uh, last time I checked, there were 19 slots available uh, because we capped that one tier at a thousand true fans. Kevin Kelly's idea of the thousand true fans. Yeah. And so at the moment, as of this recording, there are 19 spots left if you are interested. All right, before we get to our listener tips today, coming up on the Maximal episode this week, we have a million more questions from callers, social media, and the live stream. We have a private minimalist home tour. We're taking a detour for this one, Ryan. We are going way back down memory lane. I have some rare photos of our very first tour in 2011. And basically, I have nice. these photos so we can make fun of your shorts. <laughs> uh, we have our impulse purchases segment coming up. We, of course, have TK's tweet of the week and a brand new segment from Ryan. It's called Tossing Ryan's Word Salad. <laughs> We've got an outstanding added value uh, segment for you as well. It's a book, a poem, and an argument, and much more of less, including all of our part podcast archives. If you're interested, Patreon.com slash The Minimalists. Try it out for a month. You'll be glad you did. Malabama, what else you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hello, this is Lari from Brazil, and I would like to share my experience with living Facebook. I once had 5,000 Facebook friends because I believed this would bring me more business. It did not. These people were collecting me, like one more pin for the Pinterest board of friends, as was I. So I started to unfriend them one by one. And once I got to only people I actually knew, I still had over 400 friends. There's no way that keeping in touch with 400 people would add value to my life. So I decided to ignore the potential backlash and unfriend until I was down to close friends only. And guess what? there was zero backlash because these people did not actually care about me as much as I did not actually care about them. 
The next step seemed so obvious to me. All my close friends have my number, so why not limit these interactions to actual conversations and delete Facebook altogether? It's been over a year and I never looked back. Hey guys, so I have been trying to live a more sustainable and ethical life and that is how I came across your podcast. On many episodes and especially the one about clothing, you guys discussed buying things responsibly and suggested a few companies that share your values. I wanted to share how this can be applied not just to things but also with everyday um, consumable items that obviously you cannot buy secondhand such as cleaning supplies, beauty, bath and body items, skincare and many other many of the standard companies uh, that you find in stores don't have the most sustainable or ethical practices most cleaning or beauty brands use dirty palm oil others use harsh chemicals and uh, many other things so this has led me to discover and support smaller businesses so for example i buy natural the other end um, lotions and all my um bath items from an Etsy shop. There are many out there. I just picked the one closest to me and it's all natural and homemade. I buy my dishwashing and laundry detergent from Drops. That's spelled D-R-O-P-P-S. It gets shipped to my house and you can look on their website about their awesome social and environmental responsibility. It is also plastic free. It's just little pods that come in a box. My favorite uh, brand is my toilet paper and paper towel brand. They're called Who Gives a Crap? It is a bit more pricey, but they donate 50% of their profits to building toilets in the third world, in third world countries, uh, where lack of sewage systems affects health and many children die from this. So it is a great way to help by doing something as simple as, well, wiping your butt. <laughs> Plus their emails are always funny with the toilet puns and they make uh, reports showing their latest donations and impacts. Those are just a few of my favorite alternatives. There are many more out there if you do your research. So if you can, don't just focus responsible purchasing to clothes and things, but also to everyday things. Welcome back to the Minimalist Private Podcast. We have so much more to talk about today. Several simple living segments. Before we do, though, let's check in with our live stream. Alabama, we had a question about microphones. What's going on over there? Yeah, here's a question from Libby. She says, can you please move your microphone, Joshua? We can't see your mouth speech. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I can't actually. And I'll show you why. Here, Jordan, move your head so I can see myself here. If I do this... The audio does not sound as good on the podcast as you. If you're listening to the audio version, you can see my face now, but it doesn't sound good. And because the majority of our listeners are audio listeners, uh, we we do this podcast as an audio broadcast. And so everyone, you'll notice, like we have these these microphones here. Go ahead and pan to Ron, well, pan to uh, TK real quick. You'll see the microphones in front of his face as well. We got the logo on there because we cover up. Any corporate logo. We have no sponsors on the podcast because yeah. advertisements suck. This is not M&M's. Everybody keeps saying this is m and <laughs> <laughs> It's minimalist. Yeah, no, it's our own typeface that uh, that Dave over at Spire made himself. And so, uh, yes, you won't be able to see my mouth directly, but it's okay. I, uh, I look far more handsome from the nose up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he tells all the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, uh, the mouth up, tossing Ryan's word salad is in. 
is a new little segment that we're doing here on the podcast. Yeah, so I, I got this idea uh, this morning. I came across a word I'd never heard of. And I'm like, oh, Josh may not know this word. I'm like, but maybe he does. Which leads to whatever Josh Josh's title he came up with for this segment. No, this is Professor Sean. Tossing Ryan's word salad. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Professor I I called Sean. It, I called it Ryan's word salad. And he, was <laughs> he like, did say that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. That's right. It was Professor Sean. Oh, man. Anyway. Um, all right. So the word is, you tell me if you know it or not. I I asked Josh, and you tell me too, TK, if you know it. I asked Josh if he wanted me to like just give him the word or give him like Boulder Dash, where you give him the word with like three different definitions. Yeah, I don't want multiple choice. Yeah. I'll just tell you what the answer is. All right. So uh, <laughs> the word is defenestration. I knew that one. Okay, so to defenestrate would you know, tear someone down. <clears throat> um, uh, you're getting there, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's uh, that is a piece of it. I mean, what kind of sort of you're in, you're in the ballpark? What's that? Defenestration. Yes, it has nothing to do with menstruation. Just so you know. <laughs> That's not a word. Is it like the? <laughs> I am so excited that I know a word that you guys don't. Is it building something back up again? Uh, no, 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 huh. no. no. Alabama, help us out here. What is uh, it? The root word is it's kind of Germanic. Huh. Okay. I don't know if that... <laughs> There's your clue. Yes. <laughs> my, oh, that's the clue. I, okay, here's here's another clue. Uh, the fenestration comes from the German word fenster, which means window. Uh-huh. Mm. Okay. She's getting... She's there. She's yeah. definitely there. If someone is defenestrated, they're, they're, they're torn down from their position, right? So, put those two things together. Throw a window in there. Or... or- I, it's throwing someone out a window. It's throwing someone out a window. Oh, okay. Literally. Okay. Literally. No, but figuratively, to uh, defenestrate someone is to... tear to, them down. Is to, yeah, tear them down. Right. So I, didn't, I didn't know the literal interpretation of that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. De- yeah. Defenestration, the process of throwing someone out of a window. Yep. It's the act. Yeah. yeah. The, act. Yes. the act of throwing someone out a window. Like, legitimately, not down the stairs, not off the roof. Specifically through a window. Specifically through a window. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you for letting me toss your word salad, Ryan. <laughs> Anytime, Josh. <laughs> uh, back to the question about microphones. Uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. Uh, whoever said it, Libby. Uh, I'm totally with you. I'd prefer not to cover up my face completely, but uh, actually, it's not completely covered. It's just my mouth that is covered. But I much prefer to have a high quality audio. There's no podcast that sounds better than our podcast. And there's a reason. Shots weird, fire. Weird flex, but all right. Yeah. I, it has Shots very, fire. very little to do with us other than, I mean, I have decent mic control. I'm speaking directly into the mic. Yeah. So these mics here, I'll show you real quick. I'll, I'll talk to the side. This, uh, this is a Shure SM7B. And so you see this like little, um, what is this, Ryan? About six inches? <laughs> <laughs> if you round up to the nearest six inches. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this this little area here, it so it allows you to speak in. So the, the, the part of the mic that we're really speaking into is about, I don't know, three inches farther down into the mic. And so you want to be right up on these shores in order to talk into them. And that gives us the highest audio quality. And then from there, we have Professor Sean, who's working our Tascam board over there to keep the sounds sounding great. And then we have post-production Peter, who mix, mixes and masters each episode. That's wild. And then we have Podcast Sean, who edits the audio on each episode. And then we have Jordan, who incorporates the audio into the video version. And so all of this is required in order to have a product 
that sounds really good. The video, which we've incorporated after the fact, we've been doing the audio podcast since 2015. <laughs> we didn't incorporate the video version of the podcast until Jordan joined us in 2018. And so we are going to keep talking directly into the microphones, even if it blocks my mouth slightly on the video version. You still get all of the other perks of the video version, including the home tour photos that we're going to show you here in a little bit. Yeah. Now, the real reason oh. is they weren't doing this before I joined, but then when I joined, they were like, man, he's too pretty. We got to bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> he's just too pretty for this show. So, TK, you're going to have to talk directly into the mic and wear the ski mask. <laughs> <laughs> the Kanye West gimp mask. <laughs> Which is coming up later in the Talk Aboutables. <laughs> yes, it is. Before we get to the Talk Aboutables, though, let's read some more about less. Mm. I meant to feature this article from Derek Sivers. We'll put a link to this in the show notes, by the way. I meant to feature this on the intentional travel episode we did where Malcolm Fontier called in mm. because we did a whole episode a few weeks ago about intentional travel. And this is from our friend Derek Sivers. We've done a tour stop with him in the past. In fact, you can find that tour stop on our um, Patreon if you want to go back and, and watch or listen to that. It was the weirdest tour stop we've ever done. I was just going to say, dude, like that was, it was in New Zealand, mm -hmm. which usually we get a day or two when we go to a city. We were in, we were in Auckland for less than 24 hours. It was just how it worked, how it panned out. So like we were in New Zealand just long enough to be like, oh, we got to come back. And uh, yeah, our venue was a horse track. Yes. With escalators. In with it. escalators. Yeah. It was wild. It was wild. So, it, it worked. I mean, it was fine, but it was odd. It was, was that, different. Was that the odd part that? The, the escalators and the horse track, yeah, and um, just the the way the stage stage was set up and, and the, the chairs. But it was this isn't a judgment. This isn't a value judgment. It wasn't good or bad. It was just like a very different venue than what we're used to. Yeah, have you ever spoken in? I mean, Ryan and I have spoken in all kinds of venues, as you'll see later, and mm -hmm. the rare pictures that we're going to go through from 2011. We've spoken in some weird places, right? Like we've spoken in yoga studios. We've spoken in myriad bookstores mm -hmm. we've lecture halls yes yeah, yeah. Like college lecture halls uh, yeah and and so we've spoken in a bunch of unconventional spaces but this mm -hmm. one was the, the escalator thing was kind of surreal we're at a horse track and there are these escalators going during our talk we've spoken in malls like the largest mall in north america yeah. is in edmonton canada and we spoke there in 2013 and that's the best place for me to speak, I think, because mm -hmm. like, where else would you want to speak? You want to speak yeah. in the belly yeah. of the beast, right? Yeah. Like, how could you bring this message? I mean, where do you want me to go? A Zen monastery? Right. They're just going to make fun of us. <laughs> you guys need to simplify. <laughs> right. no. Come on. They're like, no, you need to simplify. <laughs> right. I'm like, Take, you need to shut up. Yeah, shave that, <laughs> shave that hair. Well, no, it was, it's funny because like with those escalators, um, we should have done like, and we, 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 I'm regretting this now. We should have done like this really dramatic entrance, like down the escalator. Yep. <laughs> oh my one going up, the other going down. Yeah. You guys like giving each other five, doing like a little dance. Oh, we could have like played Welcome to the Jungle and like, yeah. Anyway, this article is called Travel is Best with Young Children. Once you have a baby, you can't travel. I've heard this so many times, although only from people who haven't done it. <laughs> But I took my baby to nine countries before he was one year old, then another 10 countries by the time he was eight. So I can tell you from experience that it's not only easy, but great. 
We need to share this with new parents. Too many new families are cooped up, stewing, frustrated, and bored in their home when it's actually the best time to get out. Traveling with a baby or young child is the best way to visit somewhere new, exotic, and interesting. It's even better than traveling alone or as a couple. And here's why. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I will go through the different sections so we can talk about it. The first reason why they help you stop and appreciate. I would Mm. say that's true even outside of travel. Children appreciate the things Mm. that the mundane that we take for granted. I was taking Ella to school two days ago and as we were driving in, it was raining and we show up and there's a few puddles in the parking lot and the puddles, because it's still raining, they're forming these bubbles on top of the puddle which are then bursting when new rain hits the bubble. And that new rain is also creating new bubbles in the puddle. And for five minutes, Ella just stared at the (laughs) bubbles and was commentating. She was like a sports commentator (laughs) for bubbles that were forming on a puddle. That's amazing. And she allowed me to what? Stop and appreciate what was going on, right? Oh, this is great, man. Because like Mariah and I, like we want to have kids one day. And I talk about like, well, you know, we're not going to have the freedom that we have now. And this is like helping you find the joy, mm-hmm. like not just finding a way to tolerate it, mm-hmm. not just a way to make you see that it's easy, but like to be like, oh, no, actually, this adds to your travel experience. Yes. Yeah. Because you stop and appreciate, which I think flows perfectly into the next one here. You see better through their eyes. Mm-hmm. And so because they're seeing everything new, it's helping us see it newly. Oh, yes, I've seen a puddle a million times. But I haven't seen this one. And I'm seeing it new now for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so, in a way, they're grounding me intellectually, emotionally, visually to this new experience. They're helping me experience the experience instead of just dismissing it. And no one has the power to make you stop quite like the innocence of a child, right? Mm, if yeah. you and I are walking down the street, I'm like, yo, do, 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 look at that puddle. Mm. You know, you'd be like, come on, man, we got to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Or but it's like, puddle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with this guy? Right. But if it's a kid, it's like, there's something about that innocence that it's irresistible. You have to focus on what they're focusing on. And that's, you see that magic. And you yeah. see it yeah. in great spiritual teachers as well. You see it mm. in like someone like, whether it's Alan Watts or Eckhart Tolle or Osho, mm. that presence, the being in the moment. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Osho was like, look at that puddle, mm. right? Mm. If Ryan did it to me, I'd be like, all right, man, come on. But when Osho did it, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's actually, he, it's that childlike wisdom in a way. The next section he has in here is no prejudice. India, Pakistan, Israel, Brazil, Vietnam, Nigeria, China, Russia, you have thoughts about these places. You've heard people say things about them that's affected your perception. You judge them before actually going there. Men in monks' robes or camouflage, women in burkas or bikinis, eye shape, skin color. It's hard to see past your prejudgments. Your child has no prejudices. This is my favorite part. I've ever told you the story about, I was watching the finals, was a year ago or two years ago with Ella and the Utah Jazz were playing the Phoenix Suns. 
No, no, it was, I think it was the Clippers playing the Suns. Anyway, someone was playing the Phoenix Suns. And I was telling her about Devin Booker. And uh, I said, he's really, he's a really talented player. He just keeps getting better each year. And she's like, is he black or white? Mm. I said, well, I guess technically he's biracial, but in America, (laughs) we would call him black, right? She looks at me like I'm insane. She's like, what are you talking about? And she looks at me, she goes, yeah, but is he black or white? And I'm like, well, I guess he's, he's black, but like, I mean, it's a weird question. Why would you, you don't, you don't ask, and, and, She's like, she looks at the screen. She goes, is he wearing a black jersey or a white jersey? <laughs> <laughs> there was no... Pre- she didn't carry my prejudices into this conversation, right? Uh, and I think that's obviously true for <clears throat> travel as well. Mm. The next point he has is nothing slash everything is weird. When I go somewhere like Japan or Peru or Zanzibar... It feels exotic, strange, super different, weird. Your home feels normal and right because and right because you spend many years there. Then you go somewhere very different. It feels exotic and even wrong. You think of your home as quote normal and this new place as quote weird. You keep it at a distance. You think them, not us. But you're to your child. Everything is new anyway. Yeah. Everything is equally strange. Yeah. So nothing is strange. Mm-hmm. Love that. And yeah. so a couple more things here and then we'll put a link to the full article in the notes. You don't need to bring much. And this is confusing for a lot of people. If you're a parent traveling, you don't need to bring much. What do you mean? Well, when you go somewhere exotic, it's fair to worry that they might not have something you need, like a special part for your electronic thing. But packing for kids is easy. Baby supplies are everywhere. Everywhere has diapers, baby food, and all necessities. Pack only for the journey. Get everything else after you arrive. And I would just append that by saying, don't worry about the just-in-case items. Mm. Whenever you're packing something just-in-case, leave it at home. I like this one, too. Kids aren't impressed with impressive. This took me a long time to learn. I would travel for hours to take my son somewhere really impressive, some superlative structure or view. Once we arrived, he would be thrilled by the tiniest thing. Oh, look, a caterpillar. (laughs) (laughs) He was never impressed with what he was supposed to be impressed by. Uh, He goes on to talk about a landmark he took him to see. But the next section, real quick, is babies bring out the best in people. Everybody loves babies. It's like traveling with a puppy. Mm. Everyone melts. Everyone stops to interact. Having a baby helps you connect with people. I met a friend in Thailand. He's lived there for 10 years. We walked around town for an afternoon with my son. So many people stopped to interact with my baby make faces with him, and ask questions about where we were from. Afterwards, my friend said that more people stopped to talk to us that one afternoon than in his 10 years of living there combined. Mm. I think about this with babies. We do things with babies and also with pets. Like if if I were walking a dog and someone came up and said, can I pet your dog? You'd be like, okay, yeah, or no, or whatever, right? But if I'm walking with Ryan and someone comes up and says, hey, hey, can I pet your friend? I would be like, (laughs) Hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you should be asking Brian. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 
And so, and, and then they ask you and you'd be like, get away from me. Right. Yeah. What do you mean? Can you pet me? What are you insane? <laughs> but with a baby, it's okay to be like, ooh. What? But if I did that to TK, if I, if I saw TK on the street and I just walked up to him and said, oh, aren't you so precious? <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, Did his cheek? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Assault. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so I thought, what mm. a beautiful perspective here. Travel is best with young children. Mm. Amen. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty cool, man. Like hu- human contact is so powerful that it frightens the hell out of us. So we need some kind of excuse, right? I mean, I, I think in many ways when men get together and like watch a football game, watch a basketball game and argue over who's better, I think in many ways that's just an excuse for guys to get together and say, I love you without being too direct. Mm-hmm. I love you is too direct. Yeah. You know, Jordan is better than LeBron. That's That's kind of safe. Because we get to engage, we get to dance together, we get to fight, we get each other's attention, we get to look at each other and connect, but it's, but it's not too direct, you know what I mean? It's not too direct. And, and like children are like the highest level of that, man. Like their innocence and their purity, they just bring us together and give us permission to say, hey, what's up, man? Because you say hi to the baby, but then it's like, okay, now I have permission to look you in the eye and acknowledge you. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing, man. Mm. I want to expand about uh that in a moment on our talk aboutable segment. But first I have a talk aboutable that is a little more lighthearted. <laughs> I realized this recently. I'm calling this the Ikeafication of America. Or maybe it's the Ikeafication of the world. I'm not sure. You can let us know in the comments if you're overseas or you're in another country and you're seeing this as well. Ryan, you remember when we were kids or TK when we were kids and we would go to... Sears to buy a grill. Sears. That, that was the place. It right. was. Yeah. You would go to Sears. In fact, mm-hmm. I would go to Middletown, Ohio. There was a Sears catalog store. <laughs> Do you remember the Sears catalog store? Yes. It's in the Kmart parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I don't think that Kmart is there. Certainly the Sears catalog store is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the kids listening to this, Sears catalog is like Amazon <laughs> that you had to go to to order. And they you literally would get a catalog at home and yeah. you flip through it. But what do I mean by the Ikeafication of America? Well, I just ordered a grill recently. Not a very expensive one, but it was a nice one mm-hmm. that I think will last well. Regular propane gas grill that we'll have in our backyard. And I saw the comments on it. And it's like, oh, I was able to put this thing together within two hours. Two hours? What do you mean two hours? Yeah. Why do I have to assemble everything now? <sighs> Why if yeah. I'm paying for something, mm. does it also need to be assembled? Shipping. It's got to be shipping. That, that's exactly yeah. it. And so it used to be we'd go to Sears and there were three <laughs> options and you put the entire grill that was already pre-assembled in the back of the car. But now yeah. if I want to order anything, whether it is a debt, even this custom desk that we're sitting at here, that was a ton of money because it was custom made. Cut to the wide shot, Jordan. <laughs> so this custom desk that we have here, it's a beautiful desk. We went out of our way to appoint it with the exact finish that we wanted. There's sound panels on the desk to improve our audio quality as well. That's mm-hmm. what these sound panels here on the desk are. Not only are they aesthetically pleasing, but it allows the sound to not echo up when we are speaking. And so we spent a lot of money on this and it shows up in the most giant crate. And keep in mind, we're on the fourth floor here. <laughs> the elevator goes only so far up. Oh, yeah. The, the elevator <laughs> only goes to the third floor. Right. And it's the tiniest elevator. Yeah. 
It fits Ryan and uh, two 12 packs in it. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite small. Those were cases, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so somehow we got the desk up here. And then we, and by we, I mean mostly Jordan, put together this entire <laughs> giant, heavy, huge desk. And Jordan and I were talking this morning about the Ikea-fication of America. And he brought up an interesting point that at least Ikea has a showroom where you can go to sort of see the things and how they look when they're assembled. Yeah. But now, I think the byproduct of the Ikea-fication of America is that we're often ordering things and then they show up and they're nothing like we expected. Jordan, would you yeah. care to elaborate on this profound insight that you had recently? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you basically said what I was thinking um, we had talked about earlier. It's it's the... like we. I just moved about four months ago and it seems like everything that we've bought at our house is, it's like cheesier and smaller and doesn't quite fit the spot that we wanted it. It's, it, there's always, and it's, it's, it's getting increasingly more so, like there's always a, a discontent with the purchase. Give me an example of something. Uh, the, so the, Right when I walk in the front door, I have a shoe rack because we don't really want to have shoes in the house because there's some carpet on the stairs and it causes, you know, just like a problem we have here at the studio, um, just tracking mud or, and debris. But the shoe rack, I measured the spot exactly and I searched for a few weeks to find like just the right shoe rack. And the one that came is not the measurements that was on Amazon. <laughs> was and it smaller? It was smaller, oh, yeah. Wow. So it like just like two inches on one side. And and I found something that I believe to be perfect for the spot. So, mm. and, and it's just like, because there, I don't think Amazon or, or other online stores are held to any like, like uh, criteria, any, any uh, standards of sizing. Like they don't, mm. you know, what you're reading online is... N- there's no reason for it to be true because <laughs> they just want your money because they're, they don't, oh. all they, they operate on is the fact that they got your money yeah. and they don't really even care about returns. I think you could even go into that detail about how like Amazon doesn't actually take your stuff back. No. Usually it just gets thrown away. Yeah. Ryan, I ordered a new desk for home recently for mm-hmm. my office and I, first off, they sent me the wrong desk. <laughs> <laughs> but they only sent the desktop. So I couldn't even set it up while I waited for the new one. It was just a desktop with no legs. Wow. And it was the wrong desktop, but yeah. it was also, it was just taking up a ton of space. And so mm. I'm waiting for them to come pick that up. And so I order another one and it finally shows up and it's six different boxes. I thought it was coming assembled. Oh, wow. It's, it was a nice desk and it was several hundred dollars, right? And so it shows up and it, I spend four hours putting together, it's a sit to stand desk. And so like, all these electronic components and it's heavy and it's all these different boxes. And I'm like, if I paid this money, I'm just sick and tired of assembling everything. (laughs) He's done. See what I do, Josh is I let you buy whatever you assemble it. And then when you're ready to let go of it, (laughs) and if it's, there's room in my house for it, I just get it from Josh and it's completely (laughs) assembled. This is why we're best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, um, it's, it's weird because the things I've ordered, there's a um, a premium rate you can pay to have it assembled. Mm-hmm. The the table that you see mm-hmm. in, in the living room for my picture, mm-hmm. um, that's what I did. I pay like an extra like 50 bucks or something like that to, to have it assembled. 
And so a lot of things do come with that option. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes the selling things where you have to assemble them yourself is kind of what makes it possible for them to sell it so inexpensively mm-hmm. or for them to ship things so efficiently because we do live in a culture now where it's like, man, you can get just about anything in only a few days. Yeah. Things are a lot more affordable and that's part of what makes it. But if you look for it, you should be able to find a way to pay for the assembly. But I but I don't know. I only don't, I don't know from my experience. It's all, it's all situational. Um, yeah. I will never forget uh, Josh and uh, his his ex wife. It was his wife at the time. They bought a bunch of furniture from IKEA uh, to fill their new big suburban house with the this white picket fence. Like two thousand three ish. Yeah, yeah. And uh, very quickly, um, I went over there to help, and, and Josh and I realized very quickly, like, oh wow, like there's way too much to assemble here. Like this is going to take hours and hours, days even. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I, I was willing to help out a little, uh, you know, a little bit, but I'm like, dude, y- you know, I saw a little uh, at Ikea, they have little advertisements for handymen that are willing to put together furniture. I'm like, you might have to call one of these handymen to like finish this up. And he shows up and he works for like eight hours. Yeah. 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And he literally is like halfway done with like the bed. I think he's he, a pro. He's a pro halfway done with the bed. And he was like, I'm done. I'm out. And just left Josh with a half-assembled bed. And well, are you going to come back? Nope, I, I'm not doing this anymore. Like the, the, the man who like yeah, the man who advertises like I'll come and put all your because that's how <laughs> that's how crazy it is. That's how um, uh, uh, infuriating it is. So I get your frustration because yeah, I yeah man, and and there's always like, extra pieces left over. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's ten o'clock at night, and I have a half put together a bed yeah. and nowhere to sleep. The mattress is <laughs> up against the wall, and I'm like. I can't even put the mattress down now because this bed is half assembled. And so it's been going on for a while. I'm not against Ikea. I'm not against assembly. I just have a small gripe with the fact that it <laughs> seems that everything requires assembly now. Hmm. And uh, it's becoming more and more difficult for the very few things that I do actually buy to have them arrive sounds assembled. Like, sounds like my movers. Mm-hmm. Oh, Even though they were paid to assemble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, we got to go. <sighs> Shoot. <clears throat> Let's move on to our next talk aboutable. I need to address the controversy, Ryan. I think we should. Episode 368, we had a guest on the podcast. His name is Dr. Jerry Tennant. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read you something here because we had four people and just four people. And so I want to bring this up first off. I think this episode itself, we had more people find value, specifically in this episode, people who have chronic health issues found immense value in this. However, there was backlash from at least four people, and I generally don't even pay attention to that, but Emma sent all of them over to me. Emma, the immigrant, uh, she sent me all the Patreon comments are from four people, and when I see them all at once, it feels like the sky is falling, right? Oh my God, what, is, what did we do wrong? What did I mess up? Oh my, do, what do I need to apologize about? It? And then I realized like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe there's nothing to apologize for, but there is certainly something to address here. So there are four people who didn't like the chronic illness conversation we had with Dr. Jerry Tennant. Unfortunately, these people didn't really point out specifically what the problem was. They used a lot of thought terminating cliches like this guy is a quack, uh, pseudoscience, or he's full of crap. So criticism, I'm all for feedback. I'm also for the judgment of ideas that are bad ideas, right? 
But the way that we do that is through specificity, by pointing out what is wrong, not by dismissing the person. If TK says something that I don't like, I say, yeah, but he's uh, full of crap or he's a quack or yeah, a bunch of spiritual mumbo jumbo over there, right? And so I uh, responded to the four people who were on Patreon because they are Patreon supporters and I felt compelled that, hey, maybe I would like to address this, see if I did anything wrong. And so... I had a different iteration of this response for everyone, but this one was to someone named Aaliyah. And I said, hey, JFM here. I'm sorry you didn't find value in this episode. From time to time, we will feature guests that don't align with your worldview and many guests that don't align with mine or Ryan's worldview. (laughs) That's how we grow, learn, and form a deeper understanding. Some of our guests will even be controversial. Heck, some people think Ryan and I are controversial, which is wild to me. But it's true. I mean, a lot of people think the whole minimalist movement and simplifying and the things that we've done. And we've been called everything. I've been called the L. Ron Hubbard of minimalism. What a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I've been told that we're starting a cult or a religion or all of these things. And I realized that, okay, I'm happy to have a conversation about those things, right? Or are you saying those as thought terminating cliches to just shut down the idea to show your superiority, right? Mm. And so... I also said, you know, I said some of our guests will be controversial. We have had controversial guests on the podcast. Uh, we've had uh, Dr. Zach Bush, who everyone seemed to love that episode about death. But he's, I mean, if you Google him, he's pretty controversial, right? We've had other people. We've had Erwin McManus, who is a you know a pastor. We had him on the week after we had Lisa Ann, probably the most famous porn star of all time mm-hmm. on the podcast, yeah. right? And so we have controversial people on the show. And that's okay. I'm willing to have controversial people on the show. Although I, what I told her here is I didn't realize Dr. Tennant was one of those controversial figures. He seemed relatively benign to me. I had him on the show because I found value in his book, which was called uh, Healing is Voltage, mm. which ironically, I originally picked up at a doctor's office. <laughs> you know, her comment was about like how he's shunned by some of the medical establishment, right? Mm-hmm. I said, if you're a longtime listener, you'll know that I have suffered tremendously with an autoimmune disease for the last four years. And when nothing seemed to help my terrible pain, I found significant relief and healing in various alternative therapies, PEMF, grounding, ice baths, etc., especially when paired with an autoimmune paleo diet or autoimmune protocol diet. And also, I would say, Mm. paired with some conventional medicine, right? I just want to be clear about that because I'm all for traditional medicine as a vehicle. But if it doesn't get me where I need to go, then I'm also willing to try other means of transportation. Yeah. Especially like when you're in a desperate situation that you were in, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, um, yeah, it was you were willing to try anything as as long as it made sense for you to try. Quite literally. I mean, I've done FMTs. Mm -hmm. I've, I've done all kinds of things that are therapies that have helped to some degree, right? And the reason I, I want to talk about his book wasn't because I agree with everything Dr. Tennant says, even <laughs> in the book, but I did find value and healing from it. I mean, hell, Josh doesn't even agree with everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, that's what I wrote to her. I said, I certainly don't endorse everything Dr. Tennant says. I don't even endorse everything TK says. <laughs> 
So we don't ever give medical advice on our show. In fact, I don't want to give any advice at all, medical or otherwise, but I am willing to share different perspectives from time to time, Mm. especially if I found benefits in those perspectives to see whether anyone else gets value from it. Mm. From the feedback, it appears that many people found value in this episode, especially people suffering with chronic pain. And that's the point that I wanted to bring out. This episode was really about people who have reached some dead end Mm -hmm. through traditional means. I'm not against the traditional medical system. I found great benefit Mm -hmm. in conventional medicine from time to time, but that's not the full picture. And when we start dismissing someone as pseudoscience or quack or whatever, and the things he was talking about didn't even seem pseudoscience-y to me, right? Mm -hmm. It's judgmental. And I can come in here sanctimonious I'm good at being sanctimonious. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Ryan, I can't believe you let your wife sleep with crystals under her pillow. (laughs) What a quiet, like, no. Like, (laughs) it's like, if you get benefits or she gets benefits from that in any way. Exactly. I'm willing to listen, right? Yeah, and that, I'm glad you bring up Mariah because that that like strengthens our relationship because the crystals are a little quacky to me, you know, for the lack of a better word and to kind of go with, you know, the verbiage that was used in this comment. But, you know, I can hold space for other people's beliefs. And I think that is really, it's a powerful thing. I mean, for me, being raised Jehovah's Witness, I had such such strong uh, dogmatics that, um, man, I really didn't want to admit when I was wrong. Mm. And when I saw someone else who might be right, I had to go out of my way to put them down mm-hmm. to make my beliefs uh, still hold true in my own mind. So, you know, the, the, I don't, that person who was, you know, commenting um, about, you know, him being a quack, I don't think they were, it's not, I don't think it's a superiority thing. I think it's a, it's an affirmation thing. Like the stories that we tell ourselves are so powerful, regardless of what those stories are. What are they affirming? Then uh, affirming the, the story that they have in their head of this is the way medicine is. This is the way it works. These are, this is the right answer. And the doctor that you had on is totally questioning mm-hmm. and challenging this story that I have. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you why. Um, let me tell you why my story is correct. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having a story. And I, I've got my own stories. I don't talk a lot about spiritual beliefs and stuff because, uh, to be quite honest, like I think my spiritual beliefs are a little quacky. Mm. But they're, they. But I look at them as metaphors. I look at them as stories that help me process helps me navigate keeps me honest keeps me genuine and things like that and like when i you know when i think about people um you mentioned eckert tolley and osho earlier mm-hmm. talk about controversial yes you know zach bush when we had him on that was so uncomfortable for me because mm. it was like it was really branching out there in the the wooey type you know um uh, of realm and yet people found immense value yeah. in it and i even like i and you know i like bringing people on like that where i can say Hey, you know what? Um, what you sound or what you're saying sounds a little out there. So for someone like me who is looking at you, like, dude, you are out there. Like, help me, help meet me in the middle. Like, show me how maybe I can look at this a little bit differently. Because that, for me, is how I've been able to um, just be the most genuine version and the most caring and compassionate uh, version of myself. Is when I, I when I seek to understand others. So you know the 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 world is the way you see it. That's how it is. So um, however you see the world, that's fine. And I support the way that you see the world. And I support the stories that you tell yourself. Like that's, that is so much more powerful than me saying like, oh, that story doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to throw up this thought terminating cliche Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. to dismiss your story. Like that is, um, it's not just dis- it's not just disempowering to the relationship, but it's really disempowering to yourself because now you're putting up walls and barriers and defenses that could really prevent you from just learning more about like what's going on in this world because there are so many different stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, uh, so a few things here. First, uh, a-, a brief defense of thought terminating cliches. In the same way that I don't require people to expound when they say, oh my gosh, that guest was so amazing. I also don't require them to defend themselves if they say, oh, that guest was a complete quack. I think it is the audience's right to engage the material honestly in whatever way they wish. And if I don't require justification for the compliments, I don't require justification for the criticism. You can say that guest was amazing. You can say that guest is an idiot. And that's your opinion and you're free. I want you to feel safe in this space to express that, whether we respond to it or not. What I would require clarification and justification for is me making a change that is demanded of me based on someone's feeling about what I do. So if someone says that guest is a quack, therefore I demand you to take that episode down. Mm. Well, now that's an invitation to a conversation. Because in order for me to do anything, I must have a reason for doing it that I feel good about. If you just want to tell me that guy's a quack, totally cool. I want you to feel safe and at home to do that here in this community. On the other hand, if you say, I want you to take the episode down or something like that, then it's, well, let's have a conversation and let's have a conversation about what the aim and purpose of this show is, what the goal of that conversation was, and whether or not it is in alignment with those things to take it down or leave it up. That requires that requires discourse, and I need to hear more than just the um, mm. the conclusion that the other person has. For me, this doesn't always show up in the highlight clips, and I understand that. But I feel like we talk about it so much. Sometimes I feel like too much, like 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 there's almost a um, a hyper self consciousness about being perceived as a cult that we're constantly throwing out that disclaimer about advice and stuff like that. But my my understanding of the show is that this is for people who find it interesting and or informative and or insightful for us to talk about things from our perspective with the understanding that nothing we offer here is some dogmatic prescription that we are going to judge you for not following. And we preface a lot of what we say with follow your gut, you know, Um, You have to make the decision about how these things uniquely apply to your life. This isn't a law, but this is what works for me. This isn't an objective rule, but here's something that's worked for a lot of different people that we've helped and so on. But ultimately, you get to decide what works for you. And so what that means is this is not a show about, hey, everything that anyone comes on here and says is the gospel truth that everyone should believe. And if that's true of me and of you and you, then that's also going to be true of the guests that we bring on. Mm. For me, I can't think of a conversation I've ever had with anybody about any kind of idea that makes me uncomfortable merely because they say something that I don't agree with. I've always respected my right to have a different opinion and I don't feel like listening to you and letting you talk is an endorsement and I don't allow other people to bind me to that, Mm. right? Like, I'm not going to allow other people to say, TK, if I ever hear you letting another human being talk without telling them every sentence, what you agree with and what you disagree mm. with, I'm going to assume that 
you know, your philosophy is the same as theirs. And I say, well, I'm not mad at you for doing that, but I'm just letting you know that I'm going to treat that as your issue, not mine. I won't take it up on myself and, you know, cost myself any joy. Um, but if that's something that bothers you, I'm happy to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and, yeah. and talk about it, you yeah. know? And yeah. that's, and that's where the growth comes in. This makes me think about, um, some of the, the alien conversations we've had, Yeah, yeah. which, I mean, if people heard <laughs> Tika and I talking about, like, you guys are nuts, but yeah. like, but here's the thing is like, we hold space for the, the unknown. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I have written down here, hold space for the absurd. And like that, the, the person who wrote that, you know, um, review or comment, like I actually support, if that's their story, I support you. If that helps you be the best version of yourself, then great. He's a quack. Um, I, I disagree with you, but that doesn't mean I can't support you and your preferences. Um, but I, the only thing I would challenge anyone kind of coming at, at anything with thought, thought terminating cliches, like, well, that person's a quack or that per, you know, whatever they're the Jehovah's witness thought terminating cliche was like, Oh, that's, that's influenced by the devil. Like, I'm not going to even look at that now. He's worldly. Right. Exactly. So I would just challenge people to hold space for the absurd because if you can do that, you're going to get, you're going to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I'll tell you, like I, I'm at a point now where like, I love being uncomfortable. Mm. I don't like being embarrassed, embarrass myself a lot. I still hate it, but, but mm. I, I do go out of my way to like have conversations with uh, people who, yeah, it does kind of seem absurd and it's uncomfortable to like have these conversations, but one or two things happens. I either come away with a new perspective or um, I have some affirmations with my own beliefs or, you know, sometimes it's somewhere in the middle, but getting uncomfortable. Um, I haven't brought a Burning Man in a few shows, so I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> but that's, that's what I loved about Burning Man. Like it was so uncomfortable. Like you, you like you are, you are yeah. thrown into discomfort, not just like physically because of the weather, yeah. but um, just the culture, the many cultures that are going on. I mean, it's really uncomfortable. And like the first couple of days I was like, oh man, like this is, I feel weird. And then like by day three, I'm like, oh, this is like, this is teaching me something. Like f- just dealing with that absurd discomfort. Like, um, yeah, it was, it, it, you can grow from that. So get, get friendly with discomfort. Let's talk about responsibility though, because that is something that came up, right? Hey, you have a platform and that's a big, that's a big theme right now yeah. in popular culture. You have a platform. You're not just some guy with 10 followers. A lot of people know you, look up to you and respect to you, respect you. And so when you put someone on the air, that is tantamount to promoting that person's ideology, to endorsing it. What's your take on that you have a responsibility concept? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe in responsibility fundamentally. Like mm-hmm. that, that's a, that is a concept, as you just said, right? So responsibility, duty, these things Mm. are concepts, right? And we use this term, in fact, we've turned platform into a verb. As as soon as, why would you platform this person? That also becomes a thought terminating cliche. I Mm. will say this, I respect and understand the frustration that someone might have. And the problem I have, including Aaliyah and her comment and the three other people who left those comments as Mm -hmm. well. The reason I wanted to bring this up is we often turn a molehill into a mountain, a molehill of thoughtful criticism or knee-jerk criticism into something much bigger. If I would have just simply 
somehow filtered out those four comments and then looked at everything else, especially look at the YouTube comments on the episode. They're like, oh, wow, I, this is such a fresh perspective. I've been struggling with mm. this autoimmune disease or this illness or this. And I'm happy to hear, Josh, that you've received some benefit from this. Because even in the episode, this is not medical advice. You'll have to consider it on your own. And that isn't a cop-out. But my honest response is, I don't know whether or not PEMF yeah. therapy or grounding or whatever will actually benefit you. I can understand some of the science behind it. And what I can simply do is share that, not in hopes that um, I have a responsibility hmm. to share it, but because I find it compelling in my own life. Because let's mm -hmm. talk about why I'm compelled to share that information. Mm -hmm. Because people are suffering. I've suffered tremendously the last four years. And I found a lot of healing through that suffering. That suffering, the pain that I've experienced has been a compass that has pointed me in a completely different direction. Spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, understanding the depths of what it means to be alive. And so I don't have a duty or a responsibility to share that with other people so much as I feel really compelled to help ease the suffering. And because mm. I feel compelled to ease the suffering, I'm sharing something that has eased my suffering. Yeah. I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think it's important for people to, for our listeners, especially our Patreon audience, audience to kind of understand where we're coming from in the sense of like, we, we want to be challenged. Like we, we bring people on, on the podcast. Yeah, we have a lot of things in common, but the best podcast is when we're challenged. We did a podcast the other day and the host was like, hey, just so you guys know, like this is going to be, you know, really critical on minimalism. Like mm -hmm. my audience has a lot of critiques about minimalism and we're going to get into that. And we're like, great. Like that was one of the, that was one of my favorite like podcasts we've ever been on because they were willing to have a conversation. Yes. They didn't, there was no thought terminating cliches. Mm -hmm. Like they were asking questions and um, they, you know, there were a lot of assumption, assumptions in there, but at the end of the day, like she was 100% willing to have the conversation. And that is how we are. Like we are always willing to have the conversation. I'm trying to think if there's like one person who we absolutely would not have on the show. And the, you know who came to mind first was like Jared Spencer. You know who mm. Jared Spencer is? Yeah. You mean Richard Spencer. Oh, Richard Spencer. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to any Jared Spencers out there. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Spencer. Thank you. Um, like I was thinking, oh, like we wouldn't have him on the show, but I'm like, but maybe he would be like uh, uh, compelling enough to have disagreements about and really, I, I don't know, have a conversation with. I mean, that's just, I'm just going extreme here because I'm trying to think like if there's anyone we absolutely would be like, no, which there's no way we're having that person on the podcast. So for me, there are, but the reasons vary, right? So mm. the reason I wouldn't have Richard Spencer on this show is because I have literally never heard him talk about anything that I'm interested in talking about on this particular show. Mm. Now, if he wanted to do a Zoom call, where we talk about race, we talk about nationalism, we talk about his ideas. I go on his show, I'd host a Zoom call, it'd just be me and him, and we mm -hmm. can riff and talk about those things. But like, it, it's not some, like for me, I believe I do believe in the concept of responsibility, but for me, that doesn't mean I am willing to accept any responsibility that another person imposes on me. Mm -hmm. If you say, TK, you got a responsibility to drink three cups of orange juice a day. Well, you might be right. I don't know everything. You might be wrong. What's your argument? I'm, I'm open. I want to hear what you have to say. For me, one responsibility that I do accept is the responsibility to always be honest about what I'm doing. Mm. 
And when I'm on this show, I'm not here on this show just to talk about anything, but I'm here on this show to talk about those things that are related to clearing away the inner and outer clutter that gets in the way of living a meaningful life. Everybody out there isn't having that conversation or creating content. And so there are non-controversial people, beautiful people, interesting people that I wouldn't have on this show because right. it's just, that's not what they're doing, you know? Mm. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. I think there are I get it. the vast majority of people we'd never have on the show, but it's not because of the controversy. Yeah. It's just because it doesn't fit into what we are trying to do with the show. So that's a great distinction. Mm-hmm. The, the way the, where we draw the line is like, hey, look, like this isn't this isn't going to be a very compelling conversation about minimalism. But I'll tell you, the most boring conversation we could have is like someone who comes in here is like, oh yeah, yeah, yep, get rid, yeah, get rid of stuff. That's great. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, yep, spend less. Yep, get get rid of. I mean, someone who's just agreeing with us constantly and not challenging anything that we do. I mean, that that's uh, sounds like a pretty boring podcast episode to me. Yeah, if they're not bringing in any new perspective, why right. bring that person? on the show in the first place, right? The reason that we bring guests onto the show is because they do give us nuance, perspective. It doesn't end up being just the trio of us, which by the way, we all three have our own unique perspective. Mm-hmm. And I want to wrap up this particular segment with a, another comment from Vilhelmina. And she said, when I read the above comments, the four comments I mentioned earlier, I had a revelation. Since discovering the minimalists in 2014, my ability to receive and accept differing opinions and perspectives with an open mind has increased exponentially. Mm. You have unleashed a certain critical thinking process in me that I don't believe I would have been able to discover on my own if I hadn't stumbled across your website all those years ago. Mm. Thank you for always sharing information with me that I may not have researched otherwise and allowing me to formulate my own opinion based on my own research. It's all extremely fascinating. And I thank you for the work you do. Much love and big hugs. Man, look how influential you are. You are an influencer, Josh. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, man, like if that was the only comment we got like that, like it would make all this worth it. That's that's amazing. I, I think fundamentally that's what it is about when we're sharing something is not having an open mind so open that it is porous and you're willing to then latch on to the beliefs of others as we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. But maybe we're bringing people into a new perspective. As soon as I learned about PEMF, pulse electromagnetic frequency therapy, which I've been doing now for the good chunk of this year, I've experienced healing from it. But I didn't just rush out and buy a PEMF mat. Those things are expensive. I went to a doctor And we worked through it together. I bought a small package and tried it out and realized that I would experience some benefits from this. Mm. Would you experience a benefit from it? I have no idea. I know that my wife has. I know that Ryan's come over and experienced mild benefits from trying it twice. Oh, yeah. Mariah as well. Yeah. Did she she experience something? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, if anything, it like does a great job of just like putting you in the moment. It's almost like a, um, like a deprivation tank. It's a nervous system reset of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I'd love to do the PEMF. If there's some way to do it in a float tank, that would be awesome. I don't know. That's not like you get electrocuted. <laughs> be one last thrill they for sure. They have waterproof things. TK, you want to bring this home for us? Yeah. You know, I, I guess going back to that responsibility to be honest about what you're doing, if, if we were the scientific consensus show claiming to represent the expert opinion or the consensus, you know, uh, 
um, conclusion on everything that we talk about, um, we would be wrong every episode and we would owe you all a big apology. Mm -hmm. But we make it a point to go out of our way. Like I said, I think we do it a little bit too much to talk about this isn't about that. This is Mm -hmm. about here's what works for me. Here's what we have seen work for others. And you are free to use as much of it as you find to be helpful. But please conduct your own experiments and don't ever hesitate to completely disregard, to completely throw away any tip that we offer you. And we will celebrate that as long as you are moving in the direction of a healthy, holistic life on your end. Amen. I'm going to skip this next talk aboutable for the next episode that we record in the studio because we have a special time, don't we, Alabama? What yes, time is we it? Do it's time for TK's tweet of the week. <laughs> TK, you got something here from Richie Brave. We're calling this one "Making Room for Grief." You want to read Richie's tweet for us? By the way, we'll put a link to this tweet in the show notes if you want to follow along at home. All right, from Richie Brave. We as a society do not make enough space for grief. We manage it so poorly. We wait for it to be over or the person to be quote unquote back to normal so we can have our needs met or don't have to deal with it. Burying it is almost lorded as a quote unquote sign of strength. Mm. Can I see that? Why did this one resonate with you so much, TK? Richie Brave highlights a very powerful incentive that underlies many common attempts to coach people out of their grief. And that is because we see their grief as a threat to our own happiness. And so many times when people are sad, when people are down, when people are struggling, we try to talk them out of that or help them get over it because we feel like as long as they're down, well, then I'm going to feel terrible. And although we pretend or even think to ourselves that we're helping them, we're really just trying to save ourselves from the stress and the sadness of being around somebody who's crying all the time or sad all the time or upset all the time. And one of the most compassionate things you can do is in order to help yourself not see other people's grief as a threat is to step back and say, well, how can I support this person, be a friend to this person within a context that is healthy to me? What are the boundaries I need to establish to make sure I'm cool? Because even though that might seem selfish on the surface, it helps you love people without being threatened by them. Because as long as you are threatened by another person's grief, you aren't going to be maximally useful to them. You'll you'll find yourself coaching them when they don't want to be coached, when they don't need to be coached. Because although you're talking about it as if it's about them, it's really about you and your need to be left alone, your need to be unbothered. I call this dragging someone kicking and screaming to happiness. <laughs> yeah. When has that ever worked, right? Mm, yeah. You're going to be happy or else. Ryan, I am going to beat this happiness into you, right? (laughs) And that is a gross misunderstanding of happiness. The thing I love about joy, real joy, unadulterated joy, not pleasure, not pleasure seeking, not chasing happiness, but joy, is it makes room for grief. You can experience joy and still experience grief simultaneously. Because joy makes room for the whole rainbow of emotions. Anger, sadness, contentedness, courage, love. Joy makes room for the grief that you're talking about. And if I love Ryan, 
if I see them for who he see him for who he is, then I don't need to drag him into happiness. Mm. But the way that I can help him sort through the grief, handle the grief, let go of the grief if he wants to, is by listening, by making room, not by forcing the grief out of him, but allowing it out. Man, I hate feeling bad. (laughs) (laughs) I hate all the negative emotions, grief, anxiety, depression. Um... I get a lot of uh, I get a lot of anxiety and I get a lot of guilt, and um, you know this shows up um, sometimes as grief. I am certainly not perfect at it, but I try not to like hide or run from those emotions because the way I'm trying to look at it now, the question that I'm asking myself is like with the guilt. I talked about that on the last podcast. I think the question I'm asking myself is is like what what childhood trauma have I not healed from that? It keeps bringing up this feeling. And that is such a better approach than I shouldn't feel this way. It's bad. Why do I always feel this way? Or like, you know, trying to run from it with whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, I think it all, the all grief stems back to like, we all leave childhood bruised and battered. Mm. And it's like, we're all just trying to heal from that, you know, that trauma that was given to us. And, um, I'm not putting blame on someone who gave trauma, but, um, but yeah, it's grief is not, um, it's not pleasant, but you could certainly learn a little something about yourself, uh, or maybe a big something about yourself. If you decide to kind of follow it down its rabbit hole rather than trying to just man Mm. up and yeah. Instead of forcing out of your life, you can accept it. Mm. You can hold onto it loosely for a moment Mm -hmm. and see what it tells you. What is this telling me? This feeling telling me? And then can I let this go? And if so, why not let it go right now? Mm. Or how soon can I let it go? These are questions I find to be important. Let's move on to some impulse purchases. It looks like we had D. She wrote in. You'll see here. She has some sticky bras that she wants to talk to us about. (laughs) Hot. If you're watching the video version of the podcast, you'll notice the... This little picture she has of these these sticky bras. It looks like they're here. stuck to the wall. They yeah. they kind of could. Are they? They're okay. the material there. That's awesome. Oh gosh. Yeah, she sent this in and I I felt her pain because I've definitely done this before. <laughs> she said, I purchased these on an impulse from an ad that came up on my Facebook feed. The two of them combined equal one adhesive bra. They kind of worked once. The flip side of them is covered in a reusable sticky substance. So I fall into the purchase trap for these because I really hate wearing a bra, but I'm frustrated that I like that perky look that our culture seems to worship. I do not want to be saggy, but I hate the feeling of having to execute the modern look. Sometimes I consider surgery, but I just can't justify putting myself under the knife and spending the money just so I can feel more socially acceptable. She goes on to say, why can't I feel proud that the ladies are heading south? I'm 56 and they fed two beautiful babies, the majority of their calories for one year each. I suppose these two sticky pieces of fabric are destined for the trash can, but I don't think I have learned my lesson. I can see myself jumping at the next quick fix. Those marketers are so clever. Damn them. (laughs) They are indeed. Mm. And so the impulse purchase was I needed to buy these on Facebook because I saw them and I thought they would make my breasts more perky. 
And Which she doesn't even care about. She she mentioned that it's how our society wants to see her breasts. She cares about how other people care about it. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating, right? And yeah. I actually think the problem here is, or maybe even the solution, so to speak, is found within the question itself. Which said, why can't I feel proud of my 56-year-old? And it's like, because you feel as though you should have pride for these things. And pride Ooh. is the thing that drags us toward someone else's expectations, right? Oh, I'm really proud of my accomplishment, right? I know someone said this to me the other day, like, oh, aren't you so proud about all the things you've done with the mentalist? I said, no, because that's, that becomes my own prison because I need it as soon as I felt proud about it, right? I'm telling, mm. I'm living in the past. I'm telling myself a story about the past. And so TK, I would be interested to hear your perspective on this as well, because you come from a religious background and, and the Bible talks about pride in several different ways, right? But for me, when I look at pride, I, I think about it as grossly irrational, right? And so if you were to let go of the need for pride, maybe you don't, need these accoutrements to, you don't need the adulation from other people that will make you feel prideful in the first place. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, there, there are a couple of different senses that we can use the word pride in. You know, when pride is talked about in the religious sense as one of the seven deadly sins, it's talking about something that would be more akin to how we use the word arrogant, right? To have an exaggerated view of oneself, an exaggerated view of one's accomplishments, right? Mm. Um, you know, if I were to say something ridiculous like, I birthed myself, I didn't even have a mother, I just willed myself into existence, <laughs> right? That's, that's foolish, that's prideful. Um, and, and, but another sense in, in which the word pride is used is as a synonym for a healthy sense of self-confidence. And that's when a person says, hey man, have some pride. You know, they see you acting in a way that's beneath yourself or smooching to someone. Hey, have some pride, man. And that just means have self-respect. And, you know, when the seven deadly sins are talked about, pride isn't being talked about in the sense of healthy self-respect. It's being talked about in the sense of like this egoic arrogance, this exaggerated delusional uh, concept of self. To that question, though, that you were highlighting, why can't I feel proud? I think it's because of two reasons. Because number one, it's hard to know what the best priority to have is. That's just a hard thing to know. And secondly, once you have a priority, it's kind of hard to live up to it. It's kind of hard to prioritize your priority. Life is kind of hard. And I don't mean to state that in a way that's like, duh, you know, some obvious commonsensical truth. But I say that because we tend to be hard on ourselves when we refuse to accept the fact that it's normal for life to seem hard sometimes. And I don't think we can move in a healthy direction by not only having a problem, but adding a second layer to the problem, which is, man, well, I gotta be the kind of person to have a problem. Mm. It's like, hey, look, don't, don't, don't make yourself out to be some kind of person just because you have the problem. You have the problem, it's a normal thing. Lots of people have problems. Let's figure out what to do with the problem rather than beat yourself up for having it. And only you're going to know the answer for this because what I hear from you is you've got two things that you care about. One is you do care about how other people see you. You do care about the fitting in stuff. And I'm not here to condemn that. I think that's a legitimate need, even though we can go about meeting that in an unhealthy way. And the second thing is you care about just being the sort of person 
who does what they want to do, irrespective of the opinions that other people have. You care about being a being of self-love. Both of those things sound important to you. And I, I personally feel like you know the answer and maybe you just need someone to affirm you. I would say trust yourself, follow your gut. You know whether or not you want to throw that away and keep it. But at the end of the day, I would make a choice and own it and not look at it as like, hey, there's a right or wrong about it. If you care how people see you, that's okay. We all care about how people see us mm-hmm. in certain contexts. Just don't pursue it in a way that is unhealthy. Yeah, man, I um, I think the, the lesson I got out of what you gentlemen are saying is instead of pride, we can reframe it and uh, almost look at it as acceptance. I'm like, that's really the level that, what was her name again, Mel? Uh, D. D. So, I mean, that's really, <clears throat> that's really um, what I would love to encourage uh, D to get to is a, not a level of like proud of, look at me, I've got great breasts, you know? It's like, it's more about like accepting yourself for who you are. And uh, that acceptance leads to the confidence. It leads to, it leads to loving yourself. I mean, I'm never going to have, you know, a six pack. Well, I shouldn't say never. I mean, I still hang on to the the dream one day, I'll just magically wake up <laughs> with the six pack. But no, look, like, and I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, if I compare myself to, you know, 25 year old male models, then I'm going to start to get a little depressed mm. and I'm going to accept myself uh, less and less. And D, um, yeah, comparison is the killer of joy. Like, yeah, just, uh, I don't know. I would just encourage you to accept yourself. And here's the thing about breasts. Once you've seen one, you just want to see the rest of them. My my, my dad has a head full of gray hair. His brother, my late Uncle Cleet, God bless you, Uncle Cleet, rest in peace, looked just like my dad, but his hair was black. And Uncle Cleet's hair was black because he dyed it black. And him and my father were having a conversation about that one day and Uncle Cleet was trying to convince him, hey man, you need to dye your hair black. You can look good like me. And he looked real good too. And my father was like, no, I'm cool with the gray, but I'm cool with you too. I'm cool with you. You do yeah. look good like that. But I, I I like having my gray hair. And so you, you had two guys that look just alike. One of them gray hair. The other guy with black hair because he dyed it black. And it was like, there's no right or wrong about that. It's mm-hmm. okay if you like the way your hair looks by dyeing it black. It's okay. And at the same time, it's okay to embrace the gray. Both are fine, but it's what can you be at peace with? Yeah. I, I don't need to change me to make you happy. But also... I don't need to change you to make me happy. Mm. Yeah, and I don't need to do anything to prove to the world that a certain kind of happiness is the right kind to have. Mm. You can send your impulse purchases, also your ambassador trash it segments, your obsolete objects over to podcast at theminimalists.com. Those will go straight to Alabama. She'll pick a future one for a future episode. We have a sucky ad segment here because here at The Minimalist, we think advertisements suck. And this one is from Arlene. She actually sent us a voicemail and then we have the ad itself. Let's listen to Arlene. My name is Arlene and I am from Downey. Um, So recently I've been listening to the radio right before work. And I've recently heard a new ad that Amazon has been pushing out. The ad has this really tacky jingle where they sing about stuff. They sing about stuff for you, stuff for your mom, stuff for your grandma. It's been playing all week long. And the first impression that I got from the ad was that it was kind of 
weird and very creepy and hellish, especially in the months leading up to the holidays. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a minimalist. I'm interested. I've always been intrigued since I was in high school. And I can totally see the benefits and would like to work my way towards the lifestyle one day. However, even I can see how saying about stuff just kind of slaps of needless consumerism. I mean, they don't even know what to promote when they're trying to get people to buy more crap. I'm curious to know your thoughts and whether you've actually come across this ugly, stuffy jingle. What an astute comment. She's talking about needless consumerism. And what I will say here, and we'll listen to the ad here in a moment so we can all get a taste of this radio ad ourselves. But all consumerism is needless consumerism. That is why it is consumerism. What you're really talking about here is needless consumption, buying things we don't need or that won't add value to our lives. Everything you own can fit in one of three piles. We call this the no junk rule. Everything you own is either essential, it's not essential, but value adding, or it's junk. Most of the things we own in the average American household fall into that third category, junk. According to the Los Angeles Times, there's 300,000 items in the average home. Those things aren't bringing us joy and peace during the holiday shopping season or any other season. They're getting in the way of those items in the first two buckets, the essential items. Clothing, food, shelter, vocation, Mm -hmm. education, etc. And then we have the non-essentials. I don't need a couch. I can live without a couch. But it enhances my life. I enjoy having a couch. And so I own a couch. But I'm also always willing to hold that loosely and let it go if it ceases to add value. Same with my dining room table or the towels in my bathroom or the decorative items in my hallway or the if I go into my bedroom, we have a massage table there, right? We've talked about this on the private podcast. I'm always questioning these things and letting them go because otherwise I too become a victim of consumerism. Consumerism is the ideology that buying things is going to make me happy or complete. But of course, I'm already complete without those things. If I cling though, I incomplete myself. And if I cease, if I endlessly consume because an ad tells me to, I'm also going to experience that discontent. Let's hear the ad. Mm. Just note, though, if you want Josh's couch, just make him an offer. (laughs) (laughs) Is it ever too early for holiday cheer? Probably, but this is the first gig we've had in years. Our chestnuts are roasting, our sweaters are gone. Like the Yule Log and then Yule Log on to Amazon to save on. Stuff you really need and stuff you bought for fun. Stuff you've always really wanted. Stuff to squeeze between your buns. Stuff to get your nephew if he's naughty or he's nice. Stuff to buy your grandma who drinks her Charmaine with ice. Stuff to make you big and All right, get this out of here. I'm going to... This is insane. This this is an ad about self-harm because I want to hurt myself. Oh, my God. What do they mean by stuff to put between your buns? Oh, dude, I, there are so many innuendos. When she was talking about 
stuff for grandma, stuff for your family. Like there's, yeah, dude, they're, that's hilarious. <laughs> Here, here's the problem I have. There's a reason that TK listens to Christmas music every day of the year. <laughs> Not Christmas ads. <laughs> right. But they're co-opting that feel good joy that permeates the Christmas music experience, mm. co-opting it and using it to make people feel as though they must consume in order to feel that joy. Yeah, man. And it, it was off to such a great start, right? They, right. They, they hit you with that amazing line that it's never too early for a little holiday cheer. I'm like, what? This is, <laughs> oh man. And then they just went right into the, and here's why you are not enough. And here's why you do not have enough. Here's why you are a nobody until you become a somebody by buying something for somebody else. And it's like, oh man, Christmas songs are, are they lift you up and they say, hey, it's about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's about us laughing together, the kids running outside, making snowballs, building a snowman, listening to music, staying cozy with one another, making use of the things we already have to connect to the people that we love. Mm. Yeah, this this... This mm. ain't the kind of Christmas music that can pass the TK litmus test <laughs> up. If no. you put it in a horror movie, will it destroy the movie, make it cheesy, or minimize the fear? Not this one. This is a horror movie unto itself. Yeah, I was gonna say that actually would be like a for a horror movie. Like, yeah, it, yeah that would be that would be, make a great horror movie. Yeah, jingle. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's surreal, anxiety <sighs> producing. Yeah, I. Yeah. But isn't that what ads do? They're supposed to create anxiety so you feel that void that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So you'll try to fill that supposed void with their stuff, their <laughs> products, their services, their goods that you need in order to complete you, your home, your car, your office, complete your wardrobe, complete your closet this holiday season. No, no, because I'm complete even without a completed closet. Mm. All right, we got a Photo Friday home tour. If you're a um, subscriber to the video version of the podcast, you received an email on Friday. Oh, this is awesome. We're walking out of our homes today, <clears throat> and we are taking a trip down memory lane. <laughs> Jordan, you want to throw the first photo here on the screen. So Ryan and I started The Minimalist in 2010, Less than a year later, we embarked on our very first tour. We called it the Minimalist Meetup Tour. Mm -hmm. It was 33 cities. It started in 2011. It spilled over into 2012. I think most of these photos are from 2011. This first photo we have here, you can see we've been this hugging. So good. We've been hugging since the beginning. This is great, man. This is from Austin, Texas. Look at, that young, look at that young Ryan Nicodemus. Josh looks exactly the same. Can you go back to the other picture real quick? TK. Jordan, do you notice anything about me in that picture? Yeah, man, I'm wearing a watch. <laughs> <laughs> and one day I looked in the mirror and I was like, you're such a hypocrite. <laughs> Why are you wearing this watch? You know what's funny, though? I actually hate wearing things on my wrist, but uh -huh. I wore it because I thought it looked good. Uh, but there's a certain point where I was like, I'd rather be comfortable than look good. Right. And I could still look good without it. Yeah. But uh, it was a bowl of a, in case you're wondering. No <laughs> a bowl <was>. of what? <laughs> Watches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next picture, please. This is us in Boston. This is when I knew things were starting to take off for the minimalists. Mm. We met in this. So this meetup tour, we did something crazy, TK. 
And we're kind of getting back to it with the Sunday symposiums that we're doing. We're getting ready to shrink our venue size, actually, because it sells out every time. And we're going to say, all right, you know what? Instead of growing into something bigger, let's shrink it down. Yeah. Let's get back to the essence here. And so this was in Boston. So the first 33 cities we ever did tour stops in, we were crazy. All we did is we sent one email out once and just said, hey, we're going to be in these 33 cities Mm -hmm. in about two months. Show up if you'd like to be there. See you soon. And... Sometimes a few people showed up here in Boston. And by the way, we didn't even tell the venues we were coming. It was like, we're going to be in this coffee shop at 7 p.m. on December 13th (laughs) or whatever it is. And we would just show up and then 20 people or whatever. And here, maybe 30 people showed up in Boston, this little coffee shop that probably held eight people. And so what did we do? We just took it to the street. We look like a couple of street preachers here in Boston (laughs) because we just held court on the street. We had the circle of people behind me is this ambulance you see here on the screen. And I remember contending with all of the traffic and the ambulances that were going by. So we're giving a talk to this circle of people here. Mm -hmm. And it was maddening because we didn't have a talk prepared for any of these. We literally showed up and listened and told stories. And many of the stories that became part of our books, became part of our films, They started with this first tour because we learned what? What resonated with the audience? Hmm. What did they find value in? Because it wasn't about us getting out there and pontificating. It was about listening and understanding what parts of minimalism were resonating with the people that were actually showing up. Is that 2012? 2011. That's 2011. Wow. Yeah, most of these are all, all these are 2011 or 2012. Wow. Next photo, please. That is so wild. I can see it now, by the way. Uh, sirens are going by and Josh is like, this is the true emergency, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Josh, you sent me this picture recently. Yeah, I was going through as we were preparing for the podcast. So this is me and Ryan driving in his Toyota Corolla. You'll notice the uh, he has a old uh, <laughs> tape deck in there. So we had listened to an old iPod on his tape deck. Mm-hmm. And we're driving around the country. And I this we're dressed like it's casual Friday in the corporate world. Dude. What the hell were we wearing here? If you're just listening to the audio version of the podcast, uh, I'm describing all these photos for you. We're both wearing flannel shirts in this picture <laughs> in Ryan's car, driving around the country. Oh, man. What were we doing? I don't know. I really liked that that flannel. I bought that when I was in, in the corporate world. That's... At that time, that shirt was probably four or five years old, but I used to really enjoy that flannel. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. Why do people like flannel in general? You know, it's funny. The last time we wore flannel was for the Screenless Saturday. Yeah, we and it was a parody. Like, right. <laughs> we could have just dug up these shirts. Yeah. But next I, well, next I was, photo. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll continue. I won't derail us. This is us in Dayton, Ohio. Oh my goodness. So we were at Press Coffee Shop and we were just hanging out and we, the first tour stop ever in Dayton, my friend Jamar is there in the background. You can see him right there. I was on the phone with him the other day. You know, his son is in 10th grade and he's the third best lacrosse player in the country. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, he's like, awesome. he, he's making a documentary about it. That's why he called me. He's like, I'm trying to figure out how do I, you know, promote this documentary about my son? Because his son is like already, the college can't even talk to him, I guess, until he's like a junior. Mm. But he's already the third best lacrosse player. Oh, he's player a sophomore in, the, in high yeah, school right now. Yeah, he's a sophomore in, in high school. That's incredible, man. But you know who took this photo? Podcast Sean. <laughs> Yes. He, he wasn't even working. He was still working at the telecom company he worked yeah. at. But he he showed up at this 
that at this meetup here. Yeah. And um, we had, I mean, we were just sitting there and a bunch of people showed up at this coffee shop and we just sort of backed ourselves into a corner, literally. <laughs> and we just started talking for hours. And that was the beautiful thing about these. We had no agenda. I remember TKR Atlanta event, 20 people might've showed up for it. And we spoke for five hours. Yeah. We just kept going. and Because we, we had no concept of what these things were supposed to be. It like started in one location. Uh-huh. And then the location was shutting down. So we had to move to another location across the street. Next photo, please. Oh, man. How do you stay looking so young, Josh? What's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you look the same? My, my uh, secret is being best friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you? <laughs> no, it just keeps me young. I love it. This is probably our most picturesque setting because it was much more chaotic than this. Our venue fell through in Washington, oh, D.C. Yeah. So what you're seeing here, if you're watching the video version, is a picture of us speaking at mm. near the Washington Monument. Was a Lincoln Memorial, At man. the Lincoln Memorial, yeah, right? Wow. So what you see in the background is this giant phallic object. That is the uh, <laughs> Washington Monument. Mm -hmm. But we're speaking on the steps there. And I don't know, a good chunk of people showed up. This was 2012. And we're just there speaking and we didn't get kicked out until the very end yeah i was gonna say didn't we get harassed first yeah yeah, yeah by people with very large uh assault rifles yes. wait, wait wait what happened well, what, what they do at the time you weren't allowed to congregate yeah you're probably still not yeah but i mean don't they do protests and stuff on the yeah i think you need a permit for that oh okay so basically you're not allowed to congregate without a permit so Permission this crowd to was protest about that yeah <laughs> so th this this crowd was just large enough to draw the attention of one of the you know, guards there that was like, you can't do this. We're like, but we're just talking. Like, Did he really not. come out there with a gun? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're patrolling, though, with the giant. It's 2012. They are. And then yeah. Ryan was like, sir, yeah, sir. Somewhere in there. Yeah. What's Ryan up? was like, sir, you don't need that gun. Mm. <laughs> you could be you could be tough without that gun. He starts crying and he, he gives Ryan the gun. <laughs> and Ryan says, I don't want your gun. gun. Give me a hug, man. <laughs> you, sir, are not your gun. <laughs> <laughs> Next photo. Uh, this one is one of my favorite tour stops ever. It's a, the only photo evidence we have of this tour stop. It's a very blurry photo. <laughs> and it's just me and Ryan. And we're it's our fourth tour stop ever. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're at this little coffee shop slash bookstore. And we're, we show up and no one's there. And then uh, five minutes goes by. No one shows up still. Ten minutes goes by. No one's there. 15 minutes goes by. We're like, oh, look, let's get this coffee to go. I guess yep. we're just leaving. And as we're walking out the door, this couple walks in and mm -hmm. they say, oh, my God, you're the minimalists. <laughs> and I was like, yes, we are. <laughs> Why, yes. Thank are you, you for noticing. Are you ready for a one-on-one -on -one therapy session? Because... Yeah. That was so good. We've never been shut out in all of our days of tour stops, although that was the closest it ever came. Were they yeah. even there for you? Or did they, they came they there did. for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were late. And um, we had some of the most profound conversations. This guy had just lost 100 pounds uh, after being exposed to our work. And he was simplifying everything, including his diet and mm -hmm. his... Uh, Wife or girlfriend was was there with him. I think it was just his friend. But didn't he fast for oh, like yeah. forty days or something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He wow. he fasted uh, because Ryan was wearing Jesus sandals, so he said I should also <laughs> fast for forty days and forty nights. I didn't have the Jesus sandals. You could no. tell by my wardrobe that I still um, hadn't figured out what I wanted to look like. <laughs> I don't know why I loved flan flannels and I loved fleeces. Yeah. Like I really like I. That's what I thought I looked best in, but clearly. Um, 
Well, it was black. I was I was starting in the right direction, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and what I'll tell you though is these are some of the most meaningful tour stops we've ever had. Oh yeah, where two people showed up, and it felt I could see how to someone else, an outside observer, it feel like a total failure. Mm. But I remember our very first tour stop, which I think we'll see in this this mix here. Eight people showed up, and it was like wildly successful to me. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, eight people from the internet showed up to talk with us how crazy is this everyone who i tried to get to read my stuff before i couldn't get anyone to read my words and now people are actually not just reading the words but showing up as a result let's go to the next photo i'll tell you man i before we even went on the road with anything oh my god dude you look the same and i look i don't know 15 years younger (laughs) even though i'm only like 10 years younger there (laughs) oh man um no what i was gonna say though is i felt um i felt successful before we even went on tour man and so, like, to me, it didn't matter who showed up. Yeah. It was like, we were, yeah, we were, like, we were living our best life, you know? It's like, I can't believe we get to do this. Yeah. This, is, this is us in Phoenix. The reason I brought this picture up, we and we had a nice crowd at our first Phoenix event. Mm-hmm. There were maybe 17 people there, which was awesome for us at the time. And even now, like, if 17 people, only 17 people showed up, it'd be hard for me to contend with because of certain past experiences, Mm -hmm. but I've let go of those so much that like, if anyone shows up, how awesome is that? I don't need it to be a particular way. I'm doing my best to be as wiggly as possible. Yeah. This, there's a good story with this gal. Um, she, I forget, Miss Minimalist. I don't know if she's even around anymore, but long story short, um, she, she was like Minimalist Mommy or something. Yeah. 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 So she, uh, wrote a, a, an essay mm-hmm. <laughs> about this torso up specifically. Mm-hmm. And she came out to um, criticize us really. Mm. Like she, she had like a, you know, predisposition of like, you know, these guys don't know what they're doing. And she came out to, you know, basically tell us how we're not representing minimalism. Um, but she was like, as soon as like Ryan came up and offered me a hug, like I just like let it all go. And like, it ended up being a really nice experience for her. And she kind of, um, yeah, she kind of saw that we are just who we are. Yeah. That's the best compliment too, by the way. When people are like, yeah. when they meet me in person, they're like, oh, dude, like you are exactly how I thought you would be. Mm. I'm like, thanks, man. Like that's, that's actually really good. Yeah, It's a good compliment. Yeah. Look how young we were then, Ryan. Oh just babies. babies. Next photo. As Ryan was telling that story, all I could, all I could hear in my head was, I just died. Dying in your arms tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, there's a, this one's a special treat. This is 2011 Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We have a special person in this photo all the way from Youngstown, Ohio. Do you see him at the bottom right, Nicodemus? Oh, yeah. I remember that. We have Professor Sean in this photo from mm-hmm. forever ago. I don't know how old you were then. 19, 20, 21, somewhere around there. <laughs> 21, I think. Oh, wow. Five. Talk about baby. Are we in that photo? Yeah, we are. Oh, I see myself. Oh, yes. With the plaid shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> that was his camouflage. I love how Sh- I love how uh, Professor Sean and I both um, we were both a little heavier back then. <laughs> we yeah, were younger. I'd lost like sixty pounds by this point, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Prof. Sean was obese, like we were when we were little kids, mm. uh, and then he lost a ton of that weight and got super, super healthy and fit. Um, and this is the first time we met him. And it's the reason I wanted to include this picture, not just because he's in it, but you never know what that's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. I, we met him and I knew he had written a poetry book. And so I, re- I was reading some of the poetry while we were walking around Pittsburgh. 
I was sitting on a park bench there just reading it. And he showed up at the event and because we had connected online and we just became Twitter friends for several years until eventually we hired him to come out to Montana to manage our first giant tour in 2014, mm-hmm. where we did 119 events in 100 cities. But it all started because of this little tour that we did. And we realized that we could add value through these in, in-person experiences in a way that we couldn't by just talking into a microphone or writing blog posts. Mm, dude, thanks for putting this together, man. This is awesome. Next photo. This is our very first tour stop. Oh, yeah, St. Pete. November 2011. Kawa Coffee. Just a uh, a block or two from where my mom lived before she passed away. Ryan and I spent a lot of, especially me, I spent a lot of time down in Florida, down in tw- 2009. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite photos is of Ryan. I don't have it in this mix, but I'll describe it to you. We're at Kawa Coffee. This is before we owned a coffee shop in St. Petersburg, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we start, started it with uh, the Bandit folks. But the Kawa, which didn't have the greatest coffee, but it had a beautiful aesthetic and it was real close to my mom's place. I have a picture of Ryan sleeping on the couch there because we were just so <laughs> tired from our corporate days. It was our first day in St. Pete and he's wearing a shirt. It's a green shirt with a camel on it. And it says, want a hump? <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> and there's a reason he had that shirt. He, you know how Ryan is like, uh, he will barrel through life. And so he all, part of that is barreling through packing for a mm. trip. And so mm-hmm. he forgot to pack any shirts. Yeah. He had no shirts. Like he had packed the full luggage and all the stuff he yeah. needs, except he just forgot his shirts. Forgot shirts. <laughs> and so we went to one of these novelty shirt shops and he just yeah. bought like one of hump shirts and like serial killer. Yeah. It was a picture of like Cheerio, him eating yeah. Cheerios or someone eating Cheerios. And Weapons had- of mass destruction with arrows pointing to my, my arms. Oh my <laughs> <laughs> and this is our very first tour stop. <sighs> and uh, I think there were eight people there. My friend Sam is there somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember this tour stop just being, there are a few revelatory moments mm. from the minimalists. And this was one of them. Mm. People are actually willing to show up and listen. And I had no answers. I remember people asking me something about like, why is consumerism bad? And I'm like, I don't know. Mm. I just didn't have the, I was not able to articulate the benefits just yet. But this tour helped me in a way it's full immersion that I couldn't have understood if I didn't actually immerse myself in the presence of people and their questions, their skepticism, mm. their wondering, mm. making space not to be right, but to show up knowing I don't have all the answers, mm. but maybe we can help formulate some of them together. Yeah. Let's not have the answers together. Yes. <laughs> Next, next photo. Yeah. Go for it, TK. I was just going to say, to me, that is arguably the most important part of expertise. It's not the declaration of yourself as the spokesperson for a group of people, but it's on the ground experience with encountering the questions that people are wrestling with. And so many people say, oh, I'm a spokesperson for this. I'm a spokesperson for that. It's like, have you talked to the people that are wrestling with this mm-hmm. and just gotten familiar with their questions, even if you don't have the answers? That's, uh, I, I love that aspect of your story. Yeah. This, this is Vancouver? Yes, our final tour stop of uh, that first tour. Oh, yeah. And look at this. We didn't have a venue, so we just met in this park, and it was the most stunning 
view we've ever had at a tour stop. You have the ocean here. I believe that was the nicest day Vancouver's ever had. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, you go to Vancouver in July, which is what we did. Yeah. This is, and by the way, uh, two days later is when we discovered Montana. Yeah. I was going to say, we, like, that was, that's we'd a, never been to Montana. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And so two days after this, we drive through Montana and we end up deciding, hey, we need to come back here to write our next book. And uh, in mm. fact, I met someone at this tour stop. We became longtime friends. We dated for a while, Leslie. Mm -hmm. uh, she's, I think, the one who took this photo. I don't think she's actually in the photo itself. And um, I, was I wearing pink or salmon colored shorts in that photo? <laughs> mm. Dude, Look nothing beats my wear... cargo shorts. <laughs> 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 oh my god I'll never forget Portland the drive-by insults we were yeah our first tour stop Wait. in Portland we're walking we're walking down the street to the venue and someone comes driving by Ryan yeah and they're like hey you and I'm all like blushing like oh what they're like <laughs> nice cargo shorts <laughs> dude I, and I used to wear the cop glasses because I felt that they fit my face the best and walking down Portland and this guy comes up to me he's walking with this buddy he uh, bifurcates from his buddy and comes directly to me and he's like, hello, officer. And then like s walks away snickering and he's like, did you hear what I told that guy? <laughs> I'm like, right. I, thought, I thought you're all supposed to be like, you know, uh, uh, accepting here in Portland. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Next picture. Now, this is me and Ryan. Uh, What's up with my hair? We had both... <laughs> <laughs> this is behind the scenes on tour. So if you're just listening here, you'll see an air mattress on the floor and there's a couch. One of us slept on the air mattress that night before. This is at some reader's house somewhere and we're getting some work done in the morning. One of us slept on the floor. One of us slept on the couch. And uh, this is how we subsided. We didn't have money for hotels. We, we didn't have wow. money for anything. And so quite often we didn't have money for food. And so we'd show up at these events not knowing really what to do or where to go. But people would allow us to stay in their homes and their spare bedrooms or on their couches in their basement here on air mattresses that, and they allowed us to stay there for a night. And then we're getting some work done here in the morning before we drive off to the next city. We'd be in Atlanta one day, Knoxville the next day. And then we're driving through Chattanooga or we're headed to Virginia, wherever we were going, mm. kind people would open up their homes, their lives, their experiences to us because we were showing up listening and we were uh we were showing a perspective we weren't showing up being didactic we weren't there to teach you the prescription of minimalism we were to show we were there to show you a recipe that's worked well for us do you remember what city that was i'd I, have to look at it closer i feel like it was denver but i'm not entirely yeah. sure yeah, yeah. next yeah, photo, please. this is this is awesome man now, this is Northern California. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's where, that's where we had to uh, share a king-size bed between you, me, and Colin. Yes, we had our friend <laughs> Colin right with us who took this photo. And you'll see me squatting down here. Why am I squatting down? Why Ryan's wearing Toms in this photo, which is terrible in a blizzard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This photo is of me and Ryan stuck in a blizzard at a mountain pass. And we are putting chains on our tires... TK, you've never gone through the experience of putting chains on your tires. So when you live in a place like Montana or Northern California or Idaho or Eastern Washington or a few other states, Wyoming for sure, whenever it's a winter, you have to have chains in your car. You put chains on your tires because you cannot get through the mountain pass mm -hmm. without chains on your tires. It is not possible yeah. to get through. And so what we're doing here, 
is we are putting chains on the tires so we can get to our next tour stop. Mm. These are tour stops that don't pay us any money. They're all free tour stops, by the way. And we're just doing this for the love of communication, of understanding, of experience. And this was all part of the experience. And as miserable as it felt in the moment, it felt great to finally be able to get to... Actually, you know what? This was right before that Seattle tour stop we had to cancel in 2012. And so we actually had to cancel this tour stop. This is Holiday Happiness Tour. This is our mm-hmm. second tour that we ever did. We had to cancel the Seattle tour stop because we couldn't make it there in time because of the snow. And we rescheduled it. And uh, we were able to... It's our first like sold-out tour stop because we did it at the town hall there. Oh, yeah. And so they had to move it back a month for us because, well, we... Um, we were stuck because of inclement, inclement weather. Yeah, that like, was, yeah, we, we pulled, we like, or yeah, trying to go up this pass. Um, and there's like a bunch of officers and stuff. And like, yeah, they literally, they make you pull over and chain up or they like tell you, you can't go up the pass. Wow. And then there was another particular part of the stretch where the, yeah, the road was closed. So we were like, well, like there's no way around. So we got to stay. And that's why we ended up rescheduling the Seattle stop. But Wow. We were able to find like, <clears throat> I forget how many hotels like we looked because everyone's got the same problem. Mm-hmm. So we looked at all the hotels. There was literally one hotel with one room and they're like, how many of you? We're like three. They're like, we got a king size bed. We we're like, well, I guess we're sharing a king size bed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Better than freezing to death in the car. Yeah. Right. But, you know, thank goodness Josh is a snuggler. <laughs> <laughs> kept us all, kept me and Colin warm. <laughs> I will say that minus the snow, we often slept in Ryan's Toyota Corolla uh, between tour stops, like very frequently. Like we'd find a a hose on the side of Seven Eleven or whatever, and hose off if necessary. Um, whatever we needed to do to uh, to make it to the next city. Next picture. So good to hear this side of the story too, right? Because yeah. it's so easy to be like, oh, well, it's nice that. You guys are billionaires and can afford to be minimalist. It's like, man, people don't know mm. how much you guys really left behind. Mm, you know? Yeah. yeah. We were and we were dead broke then too. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we made twenty three thousand dollars that year. And that's all in. Like it's and so we would make enough gas money to move go on to the next city at a tour stop, right? Because mm. people were really generous. Mm. Speaking of being generous, this was the final tour stop again in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. We did something different for this tour stop. After the tour stop, we brought everyone to a food bank and had all of them work in the food bank for four hours. All of us just went and worked in a food bank together. Well, did you know you were going to do that uh, ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah, we planned it. Okay. We, we put out a communication. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know if Josh or I thought about it, but uh, wh- whose idea it was. But I, I do remember at a certain point where I'm like kind of having this conversation with myself where I'm like, dude, what are you really trying to do with this like minimalism thing? Like, what are you doing with this? Like, it, great, people get rid of stuff, but like, what what are you trying to, to really get them to do? And the answer I came up with was like, really, um, I just want people to like give more, be more compassionate. Um, and when you get all this stuff out of the way, it makes room for things like that. And so... With that in mind, like this was the perfect thing for us to do because I'm like, oh, like we can we can like legitimately <laughs> get people to volunteer and help their community. Yeah, and it was all optional. Some yeah. people who attended the tour stop didn't show up at the food <laughs> bank, but we gave them that option to help us contribute, and they got to spend some time with us as we we stock shelves at food banks and move things around. We've done the same thing with soup kitchens and and some other stuff, but this was the first time we we employed our readership because that's all it was at the time it was just a blog it wasn't i mean we had a book out 
then at the mm-hmm. very, very, we had one book out. We had the blog and that was it. Yeah. And we had a Toyota Corolla and a lot of time on our hands. We were, we were billionaires, but it was, we were time billionaires, right? Because yeah. we had given up that corporate world and we reclaimed our time. Next photo. Mm. Man, I, oh, how this adorable. Is, this is the last photo here. And we were quite exhausted by the end of the tour. <laughs> and this is a picture of me. I fell asleep. Ryan is driving and I am sleeping on his shoulder while he is driving. Dude, look at the Garmin. <laughs> yeah, is we there had, a filter on this? It oh looks God, like, like a, a little romantic like hue, just a little red <clears throat> tint around the edges. I don't the know. I, photo. I'm willing to bet that was just, well, A, it's probably the exposure, but that, wow. I mean, it looks like it was sunset. So yes, yeah. it is a natural sunset filter. So Dude, pretty. I am so grateful for where we are at now. But man, like those, when you talk about the good old days, but I, I'll tell you what though, when we were doing that for, because we started touring... In 2011, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 20, November 2011. So um, we we hit it hard, like up until like 2015, and it started to kind of slow down. Not slow down, but like we just kind of backed off a little bit from the crazy tours we were putting ourselves on. But I was very much able in the moment, in many moments, to be like, dude, like this, like take this in because it ain't gonna last forever. Yeah, and, uh, and funny, even yeah. then, you it's funny to remember it the way that you remember it because you're like, yeah, 2015, we did 35 cities in 2015. Yeah. We did, uh, 2016, we did 16 cities. Well, compared to the 100 city tour. I know, right? But then 2017, <laughs> yeah. we did 50 cities. In 2018, we did the Simply Southern Tour and the Australia Tour. Mm-hmm. In 2019, we didn't do any touring because we're like, ah, oh, we'll wait till 2020 to do tour. Let's finally take this year... <laughs> And then 2020 happened and we had to cancel a tour. What happened in 2020? Ah, uh, who knows? <laughs> it's so long ago. It's easy to forget. So thank you for taking this trip down memory lane with the minimalists. Happy 12 year anniversary here. It has been an amazing journey. I'm so grateful that along the years we've picked up some, uh, some beautiful people along the way. Heck Podcast yeah. Sean, Professor Sean, Jordan No More, Danny Unknown, Alabama, T.K. Coleman, Emma the Immigrant, post-production Peter, Evan, all the folks at Booklight, yeah. Matt Diavella. Jess Williams. Yes. Did Social Jess. Yeah. We have, you know, we have Sarah, our wonderful publicist, mm-hmm. and we've we've just accumulated people as we've let go of things, right? Mm-hmm. Most of them we've met on Twitter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Including Andrew, our, our speaking agent yeah. who books all of our tours now. Uh, Mark, our, our book agent. Tess, our foreign book agent. We have this whole group of people. There's like 30 people that keep the minimalists going. And it all started with me and Ryan and a Toyota Corolla and a blog, theminimalists.com. And from there, I couldn't have predicted any of this. The Netflix thing, a pod, I didn't know what a podcast was. Never, heard, mm. I didn't know what a blog was. I couldn't spell HTML, <laughs> let alone figure out how to start a podcast and do book tours and all these other things. But what was it? It was this deep desire. We felt compelled to contribute beyond ourselves somehow. And it really started with that. And then we found all of these different vehicles. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Many of them didn't. But these vehicles allowed us to explore more, understand more, fail more, and live a meaningful life. Yes, it was with less stuff, but more experiences, more freedom. Mm. 
more time, more love. Mm. Mm. Man. I think it's yeah. a great place to wrap it up. I'm going to skip yeah. our added value segment this week. I'll bring this back on the next episode we record in the studio because I think it is an important one to cover and it's probably going to take us a while to cover it. <laughs> on behalf of our entire team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all. We'll see you next time. Happy holidays. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.